Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the New Discourses podcast. I'm James Lindsay. I'm going to walk you through the dark truth about social-emotional learning. If you aren't familiar with the term social-emotional learning, you need to get it in your head very quickly. It is one of two things in the whole world if you want to attack the foundations of everything going wrong in society that you have to attack. Social-emotional learning, SEL. It's no excuse any longer for not knowing what this is and realizing that it is one of the two major problems. The other, of course, is the environmental, social, and governance scoring, the ESG scoring, that sets up for the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs. So these are three acronyms, ESG going into SDGs, facilitated by SEL. If we want to be all complicated and speak like the Marxists of our day, you have to understand that these things are the heart of the problem, that these are the things that have to be destroyed, that have to be stopped. And social-emotional learning is key because it is about our children. In fact, it is going to destroy our children. It is destroying our children. Uh, in shortest summary, social and emotional learning is the practice of psychology on groups of children in uncontrolled, non-therapeutic spaces by non-professionals. It's like broadcast psychological manipulation of children in classrooms. The way that this works is actually, you follow the podcast, you know all about Paulo Freire and his, his terrible transformation of education into a Marxist approach, the Marxification of education. I refer to it as Paulo Freire is the guy's name. You're familiar with this. And that's exactly what equips social-emotional learning today. It has evolved over time. It has a long lineage going back, in fact, to 1968, as so many of the things in today's problematic world do, specifically that year. Uh, it does go back to 1968, but it became something completely different since 1994, and in particular since about 2015 or 16. And it has transformed. It has evolved over the years, and it has become thought reform. It has become the mechanism of brainwashing that they're using in children under the guise of helping them to deal with social and emotional challenges and to prepare them so-called for the economies of the future, which happen to be the economies they're building. Now, this is going to be a fairly long episode, as most of my episodes are, because I have extensive notes. I'm actually going to tie together five different sources on social emotional learning. These aren't fringe sources. They aren't strange little things. At least three of them are very significant anyway. And I want to make it very clear what the dark heart the, 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 the true evil of social-emotional learning is. I'm going to give you the dark truth about social-emotional learning. So I'm going to dive right in. And like usual, I'm going to read to you from these sources, one of which I'm going to read extensively from near the middle. But first, I want to start off on a little bit more even footing, if you will. I want to present to you, I just recently discovered this book and have begun to read it. It's very technical. It's not difficult reading. It's just very technical, thus boring and frustrating. In fact, it's so irritating that I find it hard to read. It's also 650 pages long. And it's called The Handbook of Social and Emotional Learning, Research, and Practice. And it was edited by four characters that I have never heard of before, any of them. Joseph Durlach, Celine Dimitrovich, Roger Weisberg, and Thomas Gulata. And so uh, this book is dry and difficult and like i said very frustrating it's super long i have not had the chance to read all 650 pages of it it's so irritating so exhausting that these people just pump out these marxists just pump out page after page after page book after book after book of theory it's impossible to keep up with everything they write 
And it's extremely frustrating when you understand it because it all says the same thing. All of Marxism can be explained in about 10 minutes, uh, literally can be summarized in about 10 minutes succinctly, but completely. And everything's just variations on the same theme after that. And it's just, you're looking for specifics that you might see is how it's being implemented, or you're looking for specifics that kind of give away the game. But the rest of the point of reading it is, is completely lost. It's very frustrating. So I have not read all 650 pages of this book yet. I've read almost all of the first unit in the book, which is to say that there are something like five of these units. And so there's a lot going on. Um, it's painfully boring. It's focused on implementation, not theory. So it's particularly boring to me. There are people out there who are wonderful, who are great at looking into the implementation side. I have made sure that they have copies of this book now. Um, I am not one such person, but I will share to share with you from this book. Before I do that, I want to kind of name a couple of names. There are two kind of SEL names that you have to pay attention to, and I'm going to talk about both of these out from the beginning. And I'll come back to the first one I'm going to mention in a moment, and that is Linda Darling Hammond. Darling Hammond is a hyphenated last name. So Linda Darling Hammond is a one of the chief crusaders for social and emotional learning in the world. She was, she's an interesting character just as a very brief summary of some of the things that she has on her list of honorifics. She was named as the most influential educator in America in 2006 by some left-wing outlet or another. In 2008, she was tapped by President Obama's transition team, uh, education transition team, and helped with that, but then was sidelined for the person he appointed to the to position that she had hoped to get and appointed Arnie Duncan, who is the common core dude instead of her. She's the social emotional learning path. Well, she got tapped again by the Biden administration in 2020. Uh, she was instrumental in 2015 and making sure that the Every Student Succeeds Act was passed. As a lobbyist, she was uh, instrumental in making sure that it included the kind of reporting that it actually mandates by law, which includes reporting on students' achievement outside of academic achievement in at least one or two areas. I think it's one area. And social-emotional learning fills that gap. She is significant within the CASEL organization, C-A-S-E-L, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, which is the... Uh, gold is the wrong word, but we use gold standard because it's crap, and there's no gold in crap. Um, but it's, it's a gold standard for social emotional learning in this kind of whole corrupt and evil industry. Uh, and her recommendation, just as a final point, her recommendation to the Obama administration came by way of Bill Ayers, the infamous left-wing terrorist who was a member of the Weather Undergr Weatherman Underground organization in the 60s and early 70s, while the left was still openly radical instead of doing exactly what Bill Ayers and these others did. As Isaac Gossman told us at the beginning of the critical turn in education, where did all the 60s radicals go? He said, well, not to the religious culture, to yuppiedom, but to the classroom. And Bill Ayers was no exception. And she, he, Linda Darling-Hammond had the full endorsement of Bill Ayers to become the SEL czar of the Western world, or of the United States anyway. And again, tapped, but snubbed by Obama, tapped, uh, and significant lobbyist within the Biden administration now, pushing education straight off the cliff. Now, a second figure that I want to mention, he's sometimes called the godfather of SEL, or social-emotional learning, is Maurice J. Elias. I think that's how you say his last name, E-L-I-A-S. Maurice Elias. 
And he's a very significant contributor to this particular handbook and to social-emotional learning overall. He's a psychologist. Um, you should go look him up. Let me say his name again. Maurice Elias. E-L-I-A-S. And you should go look him up because, let's just say, I'm not saying he looks like a G word, but he... Never mind. Just go look him up. He's a psychology professor at Rutgers University. He is the director of the Rutgers Social, Emotional, and Character Development Lab, and he's the co-director of the Academy for Social Emotional Learning in Schools. So he's called the godfather of social emotional learning, even though he wasn't there when it was created. And he's this, go look him up, psychologist at Rutgers University. It turns out that his writing about social-emotional learning, particularly in this handbook, sounds almost exactly like the World Economic Forum's kind of visionary stuff that they've said about social-emotional learning for a number of years. Um, what you're going to find when we read through Alias a little bit here in a moment is that he's very into stuff that's humanizing and transforming in terms of education. Now, you've been following along with my Paulo Ferrari podcast, I know, because everybody who listens to any of my podcasts surely listens to all of them. And so you know that the words humanizing in education, that's the chapter nine in the Politics of Education book by Freire, for example, um, humanizing education means Marxist education. Humanizing things was Marx's project from the beginning. He believed that the division of labor had estranged man from his nature as a human, from what made him human instead of animal or machine. And so remembering that by getting to be fully social, social in your species being, he referred to it as, uh, in other words, a communist, uh, forgetting that is the estrangement of man from himself. And and the point of Marxism and communist philosophy is to get back to, to rehumanize or to humanize not just man by overcoming the division of labor, but also society, but also the world, that the world is wild until man transforms it into the garden that he's supposed to be in. So the transformation of man, society, and the world is the actual duty of conscience. It is the actual charge of the Marxist religion. And here we find Alias, Maurice Alias, talking about how education needs to be humanizing and transforming, transformative. In other words, it needs to be geared toward the Marxist transformation of society into a truly social society as Marx envisioned it, which is to say Marxist communism. Alias, as far as I can tell, not that I've read him extensively yet, doesn't seem to come right out and say that he's a communist, unlike, for example, Henry Giroux, who was the uh, evangelist for Paulo Freire and one of the most influential Marxist educators in educators period in the history of the West, unfortunately. Um, Giroux does come out explicitly in an interview he recently did with a communist, with an open neo-communist. Um, in fact, the, with the same organization of open neo-communists, if you recall, after Roe v. Wade went down, uh, we had AOC taking to the streets and AOC borrowing somebody's uh, bullhorn and yelling into us. That was what was it? Samara Taylor, I think is that person's name. I can't remember for sure. But that person is a open neo-communist. And uh, AOC is sharing her bullhorn in solidarity. And the same organization is the organization that interviewed Drew the other day. And when the interviewed Drew, uh, he says at the end that he, he said, people used to ask me, why are you a communist? He said, well, because they ask the right questions. That's what he said. So 
Alias doesn't come right out and say that he's a communist like Giroud does, but this is who we're actually dealing with. This is what has actually happened to education. This isn't um, ridiculous. It's actually the things that they say. They tell you. In fact, Giroud still thinks that both the teachers' unions and education are far too right-wing because he's so far communist that this leftist disaster that they are already, the reason for him that they're failing is that they're actually still far right-wing and in teaching kids into fascism. And it's just mind-boggling, but that's, of course, how a communist would think. I don't know where alias Maurice Alias stands on this, but let's see what he says about social and emotional learning. So it turns out he's the, the lead author of the third chapter of this handbook of social-emotional learning research and practice book. Um, so what does he say? So just to describe what social-emotional learning is, he says, and, and I'm quoting, the cornerstone of SEL efforts is the delivery of essential skills and competencies to students. You have to like to read them, by the way. You basically have to read thousands of pages of this corporate-sounding crap, and this professional nonsense language that hides what it's really about. So it's the delivery of essential skills and competencies to students, without which children are, are at, a, at a distinct disadvantage when navigating classrooms, school, workplace, civic, and even family settings. Some children are fortunate enough, he says, to go through experiences with parents and other loved ones, educators, and communities that afford them the opportunity to have these competencies nurtured and refined. However, it is evident that too many children do not have these experiences, or at least do not have them consistently, and as a result, struggle academically and socially, and find themselves on a path toward problem behaviors and academic underachievement relative to their abilities. Okay. So this is the sales pitch for social-emotional learning. So we're starting our investigation into the truth about social-emotional learning with its sales pitch. It delivers these essential skills and competencies. That's a vague word, by the way. I guess it's, guess what that's all about, what they want you to be competent in. And um, what you're hearing is the sales pitch, and the sales pitch was framed immediately in terms of privilege. Some kids have are fortunate enough to have these experiences, but many, too many children, doesn't say how many, no numbers here, too many children do not have these experiences or don't have them consistently. And therefore, we have to apparently do this in schools. Some parents or circumstances are failing some children sometimes. Therefore, we have to make education over from the bottom in order to fix this form of uh, oppression or lack of privilege or exemption from privilege, exclusion, I should say, from privilege. So what's happening is because some kids have better parenting than others, those kids are relatively privileged in terms of what they're getting. This sets up a dynamic that has to be corrected for by an institutional mechanism of equity. That's the sales pitch. Not all kids have great home experiences, life experiences, family experiences, circumstances, etc. So we're going to have to have a program that catches them, fixes them. That's what they get you. That's where they pull on your heartstrings and say, well, what are we going to do about these poor kids? But rather than suggesting that there's going to be these targeted interventions, if this is even appropriate or not, it's a question. I think it's merit, it merits debate and discussion and possibly implementation in some cases. But the question isn't how do we identify which kids need help? in the least intrusive way possible, and then set aside time and resources to help the kids who specifically need help for specific reasons, the, the program becomes now to broadcast and to screen. And everybody who knows anything about, say, cancer or something like this knows you don't do broadcasting and screening. You wouldn't, for example, decide we could 
get rid of cancer in society by just putting chemotherapy in the water supply. That would be broadcasting. You don't do that. That's obviously idiotic. It's poison, and it's poisonous with no benefit for the vast majority of people who take it. You also don't do universal cancer screenings. Little do you know, don't freak out. Your body is constantly producing cancers all the time. All the time. It's happening all the time in every body. The thing we call cancer is when the immune system can't deal with that, and it gets away from it, and it gets out of control. So you're producing cancer cells basically all the time, and your immune system is destroying those cancer cells, and they never become a problem. But if you did universal screening, you would have, A, lots of people who get detected for small cancers that they have that are never going to manifest as a problem, that their immune systems have under control, and then you're going to give them chemotherapy for something that they don't need chemotherapy for, and B, you're going to have false positives. You're going to have people who don't even have cancers or any trace of cancers whatsoever that have no problems whatsoever who are going to come up positive on a test, and the best case scenario is you have to retest them, and the worst case scenario is you're going to give them chemotherapy for nothing. So we already know, this is well known, that you don't broadcast or screen like this, but this is what's happening with social-emotional learning. Every kid now has to fill out the surveys that social-emotional learning uses to identify which kids might be the problem kids or which classrooms, or more accurately, what problems every kid has, because they assume every kid has problems. Every kid, because privilege is relational, every kid has problems, so they, they do this broad screening, and then they broadcast the program into other subjects. The goal isn't to have targeted social and emotional learning in, in, uh, uh, interventions in kids who have specifically identified problems delivered in private by professionals, uh, with parents' permission, by the way, it is, in fact, to systemically infuse it into every aspect of curriculum, every subject, every program in the schools, whether it's the football team, whether that's the way that lunch is, is organized in the lunchroom, whether it's how math is taught. Social-emotional learning is to be infused systemically to every kid. This is broadcasting and screening. This is exactly the opposite of any responsible, if it's an intervention that cures a problem, uh, like trauma or at-risk, genuinely at-risk students from bad neighborhoods or homes, um, this is the exact last thing you should do as responsible treatment, but that's, of course, exactly what they're doing. And what we're going to uncover as we go through this podcast and these different documents is the reason they're doing this isn't to help anybody. That's the sales pitch. The reason they're doing this is for other purposes which are extraordinarily nefarious. There is nothing good here. But we see that the sales pitch itself is framed out in terms of privilege and thus creating equity. He bases his whole analysis as we go further into this chapter on this sort of idiotic drawing, this straw man cartoon he, he borrowed or drew of two schoolhouses. One of them has all the pieces of a successful so-called whole child education program, and they're all jumbled up here and there throughout the schoolhouse willy-nilly. They don't fit. They're kind of askew and askance and sticking out the side, and it's really just, uh, as, as you might say, a CF if you want. And uh, if you don't know what that means, you can think about it for a minute. Uh, and then there's another one where all the pieces are organized and put, put together like a puzzle, and they fill the school in uh, very, very neatly in an organized fashion. So everything's all neat and orderly and systematized in terms of delivering the competencies to all students. And so the obvious point of this pair of drawings is, well, all these kinds of things are happening in this kind of disorganized, jumbled up way. Imagine how much better it would be if we organized it and controlled it. Now, let me pause for a minute with this whole child thing, because the whole child is the other thing it's being sold off of. And the original thing that became social-emotional learning was whole child education. That's the thing that started in 19, 
68 with a guy named James Comer, who was, um, was it at Yale? Yeah, he was in Connecticut, who was a, a Yale psychologist trying to figure out why inner city Hartford, Connecticut, black predominant schools in 1968, a very racially tumultuous time, were facing the challenges that they were facing and what might be done about them. And he kind of had a stand-by-me approach that ended up kind of rescuing many of the kids in these schools in five years. There's tremendous, by 1973 or four school year, there's tremendous improvement in, in what was going on with these schools by what he said was the education of the whole child, which was addressing what's going on in the home life, what's going on in the family life. How do we kind of prop that up? What can we do in the school to fit this in. And in that specific scenario, under those specific conditions and those specific pilots, there was some measure of success that nobody ever has adequately explained why it worked or how it worked. But that's where social emotional learning grew from. This was kind of piloted and played around with, with various degrees of success and failure between 19, the, roughly 1970 and then 1994, when uh, the Fetzer Institute, which is its own weird thing, basically uh, latched on for spirituality and education purposes to the idea of the whole child education, a holistic child education, and created social emotional learning on the back of it and then established a castle within the following year. Um, very, very mysterious thing. But then when you see this whole child, this is what it's actually referring to. That's kind of at the heart of um, at the heart of SEL. But no, 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 I want to go I want to go back to these drawings that I was mentioning from from alias here and i want to point out that it's actually meaning this means that he starts off this chapter he gets in this book the third chapter of the handbook of social emotional learning research and practice with the same marxist strawman construction we always see this thing in this case something like social and emotional learning or character education or something like this, this is always happening without directed consciousness it's always happening anyway, but we don't have directed consciousness putting purpose to it. So because there's all these problems and because so many people fall through the cracks or whatever other excuse, the argument is always, it's always happening. So if we did it, it wouldn't be bad, but we're doing it with consciousness. So it would be good. And then in fact, when you add in that they're doing it with Marxist consciousness, which Marxist consciousness is framed off of what's called Manichaean Gnosticism. It's a Gnosticism where the, the Gnostic understanding that the world is a uh, intrinsic conflict between good and evil with nothing in between it's either their way or everything else is going to do it badly or in fact not just badly but in an evil fashion and that's kind of Paulo Freire's whole point about changing education into political education for the purposes of conscientization which again I argue and I argue repeatedly is the point of social emotional learning is to do that conscientization through education using social and emotional manipulations of children to get there and this same straw man appears in uh, the initial construction justifying everything that Alias is going to write here. Um, he goes on to write, Every school in the United States, and indeed every school in the world, addresses the social, emotional, and character development of the students who pass through its doors. Indeed, it is impossible to bring adults and children together for long periods of time over multiple weeks, months, and years, and not influence children's competencies and the kind of persons they will become when putting those competencies to use. Okay, so this is what I'm saying. It's always happening, so we might as well do it from people who are thinking about it and who have a conscious intended purpose with it. That's their that that's their their trick. That's how they get you. They start to get you every time. And so 
doing it right to address these pesky inequalities that can't be ignored is his message. We, the people who are in this blatantly transformative and humanizing approach, uh, know how to do this better than you, so you need to give us the authority to do it. Um, he doesn't mention explicitly that once you've gone down this road, only the critical Marxist view believes it really understands the concrete conditions of people's lives, and thus the emotional and social circumstances they find themselves in, and thus that that has to be the point of the social-emotional learning program, which is what we find in the literature later, is that it must raise a critical consciousness, a Marxist consciousness. But that, therefore, needs to be understood as implicit, even though he doesn't say it. He does say the transformative and humanizing thing, though, so that tells you. What else does he say? Because this is all based off of this inequalities and inequities that have to be adjusted, the privilege uh, that I was drawing out of his, his words earlier. He says, because of social, inequal social inequities, not inequalities, because of social inequities, as well as the challenges of a globalized society, good Lord, man, as well as the challenges of a globalized society characterized by a rapid pace of change. So here's Klaus Schwab. <laughs> Those are literally the points that Klaus Schwab raises as to why we have to have a great reset. Large-scale social inequities, challenges of a globalized society characterized by a rapid pace of change. In fact, he calls it the, ex the velocity of change, and he says it's accelerating, and it's so scary. So this is Elias literally chan channeling the World Economic Forum here, whether he's familiar with it or not, I did not investigate. But because of social inequities as well as the challenges of a globalized society, there's you know what he is now. Characterized by a rapid pace of change, there are no U.S. school districts that can justifiably ignore the urgency for all students to be equipped with the skills, knowledge, and disposition necessary to negotiate the many challenges related to productive living in the 21st century. That's literally the same thing the World Economic Forum says, and I did check, Elias did not write the thing for the World Economic Forum. The answer is not to prepare students for a life of tests, but rather to prepare them for the tests of life. Oh my God, he could be a school choice lobbyist. Look at that pablum. The answer is not to prepare students for a life of tests, but rather to prepare them for the tests of life. And you're going to do that by brainwashing them with social-emotional learning? Right. The answer... Oh, sorry, we already that part. For this to happen, he says, schoolhouses cannot afford to be jumbled. That's the straw man drawing that he did. And they must meet the challenges of preparing students with the full array of skills and perspectives needed for college and career success. A life of contribution and caring. SEL is an essential aspect of this. Now, did you see that? The, the goal of SEL in schools is to meet the challenge of preparing students with the full array of skills. And you say, okay, and perspectives. So they're going to teach kids what the correct perspectives on social and emotional topics are. And they're going to assume this is not the parent's role. The parents are not to be trusted. The children must be protected from the parents who might do it wrong. That's the jumbled approach. We need the clear, organized, structured approach that will equip them for productive living in the 21st century, he said. The full array of skills and perspectives. They're going to use SEL to teach children the right perspectives for college and career success and a life of contribution and caring. You're going to teach your kids to care correctly at school by teaching them the right perspectives according to their humanizing and transforming vision for education. He says, as the number of schools and districts concerned with academic success of all learners steadily increases, there will be growing recognition of SEL's essential role. 
Therefore, as districts and schools embrace SEL as a core component of the mission to prepare learners to succeed academically and socially, uh -huh, the technology for sustained implementation of school-wide SEL must also scale up. We always have to do more of this. Now, this is dangerous because they don't really have any evidence supporting this whatsoever. They pretend they do, and they say evidence-based all the time, but they're just going to keep scaling this up unless we stop them. This scaling up, he says, inevitably requires a coordinated effort. Oh, how about that? So that students and educators are not beset with a jumble of well-meaning but fragmented programs. So it has to be comprehensive and systemic, like I was telling you. And school can become places where, in James Comer's words, all children can, quote, catch character. And social-emotional learning from those around them in ways that become integral to their lives. So you're going to catch character and social-emotional learning from them around, those around them. This is the democratic classroom of Ferrari and Giroux being put into purpose through um, social-emotional learning structures. It can't be a jumble of well-meaning but fragmented programs. It has to be a coordinated, co coordinated effort to make sure that children can catch character and social-emotional learning by teaching them the perspectives that they need so that they can care correctly about the right things and in the right ways, which uh, creates what Herbert Marcuse called liberating tolerance, a society that will uh, value those leftist things and be utterly intolerant outside of them and extend um, unlimited tolerance to even the abuses of people like Alejandro Carabello, who got me kicked off of Twitter and who is now getting other people kicked off of Twitter. Um, we call him Alejandro, not Alejandra, because that's bullshit. Um, probably going to get me kicked off of YouTube now, too. We use the word all, he says, intentionally because unlike experimental studies in which hypotheses can be, quote, proven, despite many participants not conforming to the predicted pattern, schools in practice need all students to thrive. All means all. That's crazy. We're just going to throw the word all in here on purpose because um, sometimes people it doesn't work out, but we need to make it sure that it works out for everybody. So, like I said, the the the, the critical Marxist content or context that's been influ influenced strongly by Paulo Freire can't be ignored here. Uh, Alias sees social emotional learning as a means of quote transforming education into a practice of humanizing. Uh, into sorry, transforming educational practice into a humanizing experience for all. And these are going to who are who are who does he refer to in this? All the people connected to in any way to the schools whatsoever. So thus, it's going to become also under Alias's vision for SEL part of the school's mission to teach everyone connected to the school in any way. That's going to include parents. It's going to include visitors. It's going to include alumni. It's going to include you know community members who value the school and its role in the local community, volunteers, etc. He says, as of this writing, the field of social emotional learning and related approaches is evolving and holds considerable promise. It's evolving. Pay attention to that. We're coming back to it and holds considerable promise for transforming educational practice into a humanizing experience for all who pass through, work in, support, visit, and relate to our schools. So I, that's what he said. Progre uh, progress must be made in many areas beyond those covered in this chapter, and doing so is a developmental imperative for youth across cultures and contexts. It's, I'm sure it's an imperative, right? Yet emerging research 
pointing to social-emotional learning's positive effects on behavior and academic outcomes elevates its importance as foundational to a quality education. Never before five years ago did it matter to a so-called quality education ever, almost anywhere, and the data have been extraordinarily ambiguous on whether or not it is, but now it's just, that's it, period. It is uh, foundational to a quality education. This, he says, represents a sea change from SEL as a non-essential add-on whose success depended on whether school leaders had the time, money, or inclination to focus on it. The future challenge is not if, but rather how. Okay, so this is the key theme that keeps coming up in social-emotional learning programming. And by the way, that's how it's called repeatedly throughout this book, social-emotional learning programming, SEL programming. That's a double meaning, I would assume. I don't know. Like, you know, the school program, which is the programming within the schools, and then programming your kids with SEL. Um, but the, this key theme is the need to make it systemic instead of an add-on. In fact, to infuse it outward into the community beyond, into so-called communities of practice and things like this. Um, that's what Castle's working on now is to establish communities of practice that look very much like SEL-oriented churches that have at the center not a pulpit but a school uh, and the children that attend it. Um, that's rather frightening. So what they're calling for is not add-ons. It's not targeted interventions in particular schools like James Comer was working out with particular kids, which might make sense. It needs to be a sen- an es- the essential, the essential, definite article intended, the essential pervasive mode of education so that the new rationality and new sensibility that schools should be imparting to students and, uh, and people beyond the students and their community around them uh, can come into being so that they can create a new reality full of 21st century skills, apparently. And this is borrowing a little phrasing from Herbert Marcuse, for those of you who follow enough of my work to realize that that's what I'm doing. So this is Elias's vision. This is, Mar- uh, this is Maurice Elias's vision for SEL, the godfather of SEL. It's not a matter of if, but rather how. And I want to point out, by the way, that this book was published in 2015, if I've got that date right. So this is already seven years old. And this isn't all mere interpretation on my part to invoke Marcuse or Marx or any of this stuff. Again, let's back up to Linda, Dar- Linda, Linda Darling-Hammond. I've already mentioned that. Linda Darling-Hammond actually wrote the foreword to this book. Um, she's something like the queen. If, if, um, if Alias is the godfather of SEL, we could say that Linda Darling-Hammond is the queen of SEL, or at least the queen of institutionalizing SEL in the United States. And I already mentioned most of her important exploits. You know, Obama, Obama and then Biden education transition teams recommended to Obama by Bill Ayers, Weatherman Underground, a terrorist organization pushed aside by Obama for Arne Duncan to implement Common Core, but nevertheless uh, was instrumental in getting the Every Student Succeeds Act from 2015, ESSA, to um, include provisions for uh, social emotional learning, and in particular, the relentless SEL-based surveying of students. This woman needs massive investigation and exposure. Nobody's talking about her. She should be a name that's getting plastered all over everything, the same way that Robin DiAngelo's and Abram Kendi's did, and not from the left. He, she needs to be exposed. What she's done is the wholesale destruction of millions of American children. Uh, this is so much more destructive in, than, than anything Robin DiAngelo ever pulled off. Um, so she wrote the foreword to this book. So what does she say in the foreword to this book? Let's quote from it. 
And she says, as the contributors to this book show, there is a large body of scientific evidence demonstrating the positive outcomes of SEL and suggesting how these outcomes can be achieved. Now, I've done a podcast before, and I've talked about it before, about how this is a bait and switch. The evidence is based on old models, and now there's new models because it's constantly evolving. And, in fact, the data are spotty and kind of selectively chosen uh, in order to paint this picture that it really works. But they're selling something that works better uh, and, and using that to install a program that's broadcast and universal screening and is other, utterly damaging and that is openly transformative in the sense that it is Marxist and their purpose to raise critical consciousness and systemic in the sense that it is to be infused into every aspect of education, as Elias said, to make it foundational to all of education. Okay, so she says this scientific foundation challenges us to undertake a decidedly humanistic endeavor. Uh-oh, red flag word, a decidedly humanistic endeavor. Like, you know, humanistic education, chapter 9, Paulo Freire's Politics of Education, which is like, make it as Marxist as possible, please, full tilt. In particular, she says, this endeavor includes the humanization of school institutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, humanizing the schools so that they can humanize children. That's the Marxist view of transformation, uh, the goal. Uh, so this endeavor includes the humanization of school institutions that, as Max Weber described, were deliberately depersonalized in the early 20th century in order to function as more perfect bureaucracies. That's the inclusion of the Prussian model, which was literally designed to make kids either into little industrial cogs or little socialists, depending on who was in control of it. So guided, she says, by rules and regulations that could avoid the need for individual considerations or feelings. Who does she talk about next? As Paulo Freire explained, humanization is, quote, the process of becoming more fully human as social, historical, thinking, communicating, transformative, creative persons who participate in and with the world. Could it get more explicit? So she just said that we're going to make, we need to make uh, schooling or education a decidedly more humanistic endeavor than blah, blah, blah. And she said that the uh, this includes the humanization of school institutions. And then she says, by humanizing, I mean what Paulo Freire meant. Humanization is the process of becoming more fully human as social, his, that means more, socialist, historical, that means dialectically Marxist, thinking, that means critical, communicating, that means dialogical, transformative, that means Marxist, creative, that means the goal of Marxism is to be unestrange yourself so you can see yourself as a creative subject, in fact, you're being your own god. Persons who participate in and with the world, which is his claim that it's not enough to be educated, but rather that you must become politically educated. That's what she means. She didn't, she's not, she didn't hide it. When they say humanizing and transformative, they're saying it because they know what they're saying. I'm not adding it. I'm not suspicious. I see it. It is there. That's what social emotional learning is about. Paulo Freire explained. Educators, he argued, see, quoting him once wasn't enough. Educators, he argued, must, quote, listen to their students. There's your dialogical model. And build on their knowledge and experiences. There's your generative mode in order to engage in personalized education approaches that's your codification and decodification program that further the goals of 
humanization and transformation. That's Marxism. Okay? Are you keeping up here? This is the theft of education. Social-emotional learning is the tool for the theft of, of education. Are you keeping up here? This is not ambiguous. This is not a question. This is a clear statement of intent. Indeed, she says, this is what we see in schools that successfully take, undertake the journey of becoming, what? Socially and emotionally educative. How clear do they have to make it? So, social-emotional learning is Marxist programming. It is brainwashing and Marxism using Freire's method, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. These personalized educational approaches where you have data-mined the students. And what is Linda Darling-Hammond famous for? Requiring the relentless surveying and data-mining of the students. That's central to the social-emotional program on the back of Paula Freire. I'm not inventing this. I get so sick of having to tell people that. This is a very clear glimpse behind the curtain about social-emotional learning for those of us who know what the words and the names involved mean. It is Freirean brainwashing. She now. Wash brain. That's the Chinese for it, what they used in the Maoist prisons to describe it. It is Freirean brainwashing or thought reform posing as, quote, 21st century skill building to build the economy of the future and fill it with people who are programmed to work in it when they give us a whole new economic order called a circular economy or a stakeholder capitalism run on a public-private partnership for sustainability. That's your new sensibility that Marcuse was saying you have to bring in and interject into people until it becomes a biological foundation. In other words, until they need it, you can't live without it say, by manipulating their social and emotional experience so that they have the right perspective, so that they can care the right way. It all fits together very clearly. Okay? So, 21st century skill building is Freirean brainwashing through social and emotional instruction into a broadly Marxist understanding of the challenges, issues, and political context of the world that our kids are growing up in and being ushered into. And I say, and being ushered into. Remember, all of this Marxist transformation that Linda Darling-Hammond just quoted in her foreword, the paragraph ends with, Indeed, this is what we see in schools that successfully undertake the journey of becoming socially and emotionally educative. Social and emotional learning exists under the guidance of people like Linda Darling-Hammond and CASEL, C-A-S-E-L, the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, to Marxify kids. That's why they can't read. That's why they can't do math but they know how to be little activists. That's the whole program. That's the theft of education at the heart of the whole Freirean project. Social-emotional learning is the vehicle for this whole thing. And believe it or not, this isn't the dark truth about it. This is the easy stuff. We're not even to the dark truth yet. We're going to get there. This is hardly the dark side, that it's inherently Marxist. That's bad. Now, let's pause for a second because I said there's this bait and switch here. Let's go back. Remember I read this four-hour, four-hour, 15-minute podcast where I read through this transformative social-emotional learning paper uh, here on the New Discourses podcast by several authors, lead author Robert Yeagers. Um, and, in fact, that paper cites Linda Darling-Hammond here and there on this the point that we're going to make. Uh, what Yeagers and his co-authors wrote in that paper, which I read in full, if you want to go listen to it, um, in another podcast about transformative social-emotional learning, you just type in transformative social-emotional learning, you can find it in the search on newdiscourses.com. 
they said transformative SEL requires explicit critical examination, critical theory of the root causes of racial and economic inequities. That means understanding them through a Marxist lens to foster the desired critical self and social awareness and responsible individual and collective actions in young people and adults. Programs and approaches that focus on identity development and or systematic efforts to integrate issues of race, class, and culture into the academic content, so there's your systemic SEL, can have, not do have, can have greater utility to the degree that they advance aspects of identity that comport with transformative SEL, in other words, in a circle. Things that use SE, transformative SEL can create better outcomes in terms of transformative SEL. Derp. Although considerable, this is where George Lukács said, the Marxist George Lukács said back in like 1920, that the key fact of class consciousness is that it's educable, that it can be educated, that it can be taught, that it can be programmed. This is what led people like Mao to run thought reform prisons to try to teach people to see from the people's standpoint. This is what led um, Paulo Freire to write the book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, is to teach people to see the world from the oppressed standpoint. Same, same, same. The paper Jaegers goes on to say, although considerable attention is given to historically disenfranchised groups, meaningful and sustainable <laughs> change requires sustainable change, right? The sustainable world knows sustainable change. They're going to change the world and they have to be able to keep it. They have to get the revolution and keep the gains. Meaningful and sustainable change requires transformations in the way in which those experiencing relative privilege understand themselves and their role in ameliorating inequities in interpersonal and institutional contexts. So what they're saying is transformative SEL exists to teach kids to be Marxists to do Marxist change that will be sustainable because you've made a new generation of Marxists who can't live without it, just like Marcuse indicated. They note specifically, amid much else to the same point, they say competence in the, quote, social awareness domain, not quotes, italics, sorry, competence in the social awareness domain of SEL involves having the critical historical grounding, oh, critical historical grounding, Marxism, to take the perspective of those with the same and different backgrounds and cultures and to appropriately empathize and feel compassion. In other words, to learn to see from the people's perspective. It's Maoist brainwashing people. It also involves understanding social norms for constructive behavior in diverse interpersonal and institutional settings and recognizing family, school, and community resources and supports for personal and collective well-being. Okay, so just let it stew for a second what you're hearing about social-emotional learning. And I'm telling you, this isn't the dark truth of social-emotional learning. We're not to the dark part yet. All the fact that this is literally Maoist prison brainwashing for your children under the guise of psychotherapy broadcast to them after screening them through relentless surveys that data mine them. That's not the dark part. We're not to the dark part. So turning back to the handbook out of this paper, let's take a look at the first chapter instead of Alias's chapter. This is by the editors who are Weisberg, Durlock, Dimitrovich, and Gulata. They start talking, they start off by talking about policy successes and developments that led to the implementation that are leading to the further implementation of social emotional learning, which by the way is a many billion dollar industry a year now. It is in all 50 states. It is in almost every school district and system. If you think it's not in yours, you're wrong. That's going to help us identify that true dark truth behind SEL, behind this 
so-called obvious transformative, which is critical or Ferrarian or Marxist uh, fact of the matter that we've already uncovered. You see, Marxism has a dark heart inside of it, which is what it's really used for. And so chapter one by the editors, we have in terms of policy in 2004, so that's 18 years ago, Illinois became the first state to develop preschool to high school SEL learning standards. 18 years in Illinois, which Illinois, by the way, you think, what are the worst states in the country for this communist BS? Not SEL, but the whole kit and caboodle. And what I read recently is that Illinois is number two. Only California beats them. In 2004, Illinois became the first state to develop preschool to high school social emotional learning standards. So 18, you graduate high school at 18. So every child alive has gone preschool to high school. Every every high school graduate, I should say, this year and younger, and actually a couple of years before, five years before that, or three years, I should say, before that, in, in Illinois has gone through preschool to high school social-emotional learning standards that they tell us provide a framework and guidance for what students should know and be able to do in the domain of social-emotional competence. Because that's the school's job to determine, remember, because some kids don't have a great experience. Some do, but too many. doesn't say how many. I mean, technically, one is too many, right? One kid falling through the cracks is, in some sense, too many. And so, too many kids are falling through the cracks. So, they have universal statewide preschool to high school SEL learning standards to teach them what they should know in the domain of social-emotional competence. Not the parents' job anymore. Parents might do it wrong, got to protect the kids from the parents through social-emotional learning in the schools. Currently, they tell us, that's 2004, this was in 2015, so this is seven years ago. Currently, all 50 states have preschool, social, and emotional development standards. Let me say that again. Seven years ago, currently, seven years ago, all 50 states have preschool social and emotional development standards. In many states and some countries, for example, Singapore, have integrated social emotional learning into their student academic learning standards. National policies can also provide funding and guidelines to implement evidence-based, they always say evidence-based, social emotional learning programming. What that means is that CASEL has backed it. That's the definition of evidence-based. means CASEL has backed it. That's it. That's all it means. The evidence is shit. Does anybody in the world believe the academic literature anymore? Can anybody? Should anybody? When they say evidence-based, they mean that an institution that's obviously corrupt supports it. That's all evidence-based means when these Marxists say it, is that one of their corrupt institutions said it's true, like the CDC or the FDA. CDC, by the way, is deep into this crap. The FDA, maybe not so much. Maybe the FBI told them. Maybe it's a CIA operation. I don't know. I'm kidding. National policies can also provide funding and guidelines to implement evidence-based social-emotional learning program through, one, legislative initiatives such as the Academic Social and Emotional Learning Act, govtrack.us slash congress slash bill slash 114 slash HR850. In other words, the House Resolution 850 from the 114th Congress, the Academic Social and Emotional Learning Act and efforts to to reauthorize the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. Two, they don't mention here, which came out in 2015, the Every Student Succeeds Act, which actually did implement these kinds of guidelines. 
Two, executive branch initiatives aimed at enhancing social-emotional learning practice in educational and other key settings for children. And three, science policy that addresses funding for social-emotional learning and dissemination of findings. So just to make that real clear, there was a bill from the 114th Congress that's well worth looking into and going after. It was House Resolution 850 in that uh, Congress. There's also ample evidence that they've been warming this stuff into, ex uh, into schools explicitly at the level of policy for at least 18 years and in all 50 states at the preschool level they specify. By the way, preschool is the age at which, when we look in the Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum documents about social-emotional learning, that's the age that the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab say that social-emotional learning takes root the best and must be pushed the hardest where it's, you know, important but supplemental for other age groups and adults. Um, why? Because like Lenin, you know, Klaus has a bust of Lenin and behind him in his office. Like Lenin said, give me the child for four years and I'll plant a seed so deep you'll never uproot it. That's what's going on here. So where did all this SEL nonsense start? Well, I already mentioned James Comer and I mentioned that history. Um, but really, SEL grew out of the whole child education movement that was kind of started in 68 and flopping around in 1994, 10 years before this Illinois statewide policy and now, uh, you know, a decade or so later it being in all 50 states. So 10 years before the 2004 Illinois policy statement, SEL actually emerged out of a New Age Spirituality Institute called the Fetzer Institute, F-E-T-Z-E-R, the Fetzer Institute, which is located in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, the wonderful Jennifer McWilliams has done some excellent digging and reporting on this on her um, on her substack. You should look her up, exposing the weird New Age religious cult that is the actual roots of social emotional learning and its emergence from the explicitly New Age religion oriented Fetzer Institute, including that they've now recently launched with a major conference this year, the, um, what's it called? The, uh, it's spiritualityandeducation.org. One word, spiritualityandeducation.org. So you can go check that out. So McWilliams pointed out in a good essay on her substack that, quote, the Fetzer Institute was designed to promote John Fetzer's spiritual vision for a global transformation which he called the New Age. So when I say New Age spiritual, I mean it. Social-emotional learning grew out of an organization that was looking to create a spiritual vision out of one crackpot guy for what? A global transformation that will be the New Age. And it will be controlled, one might suspect, if you believe Klaus Schwab, by one new world order. Um, it's all very explicit. Now, like I said, you can go to the Fetzer Institute affiliated spirituality and education.org and see what they're doing. It's not just funded and supported by the Fetzer Institute, though. It is actually connected to Columbia University's Teachers College and paid for in part by the Rockefeller Foundation. Isn't that wonderful? So let's hear this history, this 1994 history, not from this, you know, Jennifer McWilliams interpretation, but as it's written down in the handbook here of social emotional learning and research and practice. Uh, quote, in 1994, a group of educators, researchers, and child advocates met at -da, the Fetzer Institute to discuss effective coordinated strategies to enhance students' social emotional competence, academic performance, health, and citizenship, and to prevent and reduce health mental health and behavior problems. Notice how it doesn't mention the whole new age global transformation into a spiritual movement for a completely new world. Notice how it doesn't mention that part. The Fetzer group, they say, introduced the term social and emotional learning, literally the religious cult organization, 
introduced the term social and emotional learning as a conceptual framework to promote the social, emotional, and academic competence of young people and to coordinate school, family, community, school, family, community, altogether programming, hmm, double meaning, to address those educational goals. So what they did was they ripped off the whole child approach that James Comer had experimented with, although they definitely, he's up in their fold, uh, but they retooled it into this pseudo-spiritual new age education religious transformation program, this cult. Meeting attendees also launched the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, CASEL. See, CASEL was born out of this weird new age cult spiritual thing, tapping into apparently Paula Freire's education. And CASEL is an organization with a mission to help establish evidence-based, <laughs> SEL, as an essential part of preschool through high school education. So again, evidence-based means CASEL checked it off. They built a corrupt institution that says that it's real, and then they implement it to the tune of billions of dollars, that most of which goes to <laughs> them. Isn't that a grift? So CASEL exists to idea launder and lobby for social-emotional learning implementation. That's all it's for. That's evidence-based is the word that they use, and they use it like a crutch. They use it a lot, uncomfortably a lot. Evidence-based SEL, evidence-based this, evidence-based SEL, evidence-based, which that means is Castle branded, Castle approved. And we heard what the evidence is. It's Freire. Freire's not evidence. Freire's a crackpot. Freire's a cult leader. Freire is a Marxist brainwasher. They go on for 21 years, 21 years, so 1994 to 2015, so really seven more, so now 28 years, Castle has served as strategist, collaborator, convener, and supporter for individuals and organizations that prioritize promoting children's social-emotional development and academic performance. Castle, notice how social-emotional development is first and academic performance is an afterthought, just like in Freire's political education is first and regular education is an afterthought that they never actually get to. Castle's mission is to help establish evidence-based SEL, mm -hmm, evidence-based like a crutch, as an essential part of preschool through high school education. That's right. It's to worm that grift and that manipulation into every aspect of education from earliest ages to oldest ages. Its organizational goals, they tell us, are to advance the science of SEL, mm -hmm, uh, Wissenschaftlicher SEL or something like that, SEL SEMUS. To expand effective SEL practice, that means get it put more places really, and improve federal and state policies that support broader implementation of evidence-based programming, probably like passing laws like in, that they have in North Carolina that uh, waive liability from teachers for malpractice of psychology without a license in front of groups of children so that they could keep doing this. Castle, they tell us, aspires to establish a unifying preschool through high school framework based on a coordinated set of evidence-based practices, it's like a crutch, for enhancing the social, emotional, cognitive development and academic performance of all students. Again, notice the order there. Social, emotional learning programming, and they always call it that, involves implementing practices and policies that can help children and adults acquire and apply the knowledge, skills, and attitudes that can enhance personal development, establish satisfying interpersonal relationships, and lead to effective and ethical work and productivity. These include the competencies to understand and manage emotions, in other words, no white fragility, set and achieve positive goals to do the work, feel and show caring and concern for others so you're susceptible to the extortion, establish and maintain positive relationships on their terms, 
and make responsible decisions for the regime. I've maybe added a parenthetical at the end of each of those five points. So that's the sales pitch with a little bit of clarity added to it. There's even more sales pitch. In fact, a lot of what these people, being that they're snake oil salesmen, do is write sales pitches that lie about what's really going on. They don't tell you the dark truth about it. But pay attention, as I've already kind of mentioned, to how often they refer to it as social-emotional learning programming. I will tell you that it is impossible to guess the extent to which this is a double meaning. Is it programming like school programs, or is it programming like brainwashing kids? Because in reality, it's definitely both. Since they mentioned that part of programming above is policies, uh, you can guess that it's not merely about putting in curriculum. But it's very obvious what's really going on. They're programming kids with thought reform based on Frarian conscientization, which we literally just heard, literally just heard in the foreword of this book from the queen of the whole program, who is Linda Darling-Hammond. And we also had echoed from the godfather of social-emotional learning, Mark Elias, by saying that it's for transforming and humanizing education. So here's some more sales pitch. SEL, they tell us, involves, I do want you to hear it in their words, fostering social and emotional competencies. Competency is a bad word right now, by the way. You should be really, you're, 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 the hair on your back or your neck should stand up every time you're hearing this word, competencies now in educational stuff. If your kid's teacher starts talking about competencies, make them break it down. What specifically are you talking about? Involves fostering social and emotional competencies through explicit instruction and through student-centered learning approaches. There's your Frarian Democratic Classroom that helps students engage in the learning process. Engagement is always the sales pitch. And develop analytical communication and collaborative skills. Through explicit instruction, social and emotional skills may be taught, modeled, practiced, and applied to diverse situations so that young people and adults use them as a part of their daily repertoires of behaviors, because it's programming. SEL programming also enhances, oh, because it's programming. SEL programming also enhances students' social and emotional competence, buzzword, by establishing positive classroom school cultures, climates, and conditions for learning that we are safe, because that makes you feel vulnerable, caring, because that makes you co-optable, cooperative, because that means you have to play ball, well-managed, that means you don't reject it, and participatory, that means that you, in fact, go along with it. Integrated, systemic, school-wide social-emotional learning programming takes place at the classroom and school levels, and through partnerships with families and community members, social, sorry, that was that was the end of that sentence. I, I got my, my pacing wrong. I saw a period as a comma. School-wide social-emotional learning programming takes place at the classroom and school levels and through partnerships with families and community members. So it's not enough for it to stay in the schools. Everybody has to reflect this back into the kids. It's got to be the new introjection of morality that will create the new rationality and new sensibility that will allow the children to accept and in fact demand a new, a new reality, a certain utopian possibilities or sorry, it's certain historical possibilities that have come to be regarded as utopian possibilities, as Herbert Marcuse put it. Socialism. SEL, they say, includes universal programming <laughs> for the entire student body and aligned early intervention and treatment supports for students at risk for already experiencing for or already experiencing social, emotional, and behavioral difficulties. So in other words, it's a broadcasting and screening, uh, which you would never do in any 
medical intervention whatsoever. So if you're talking about at-risk students, you would not screen for that in the schools because, for example, maybe talking about suicide plants the idea. Suicide clustering is a thing. So you don't interview the kids or survey the kids relentlessly about if they think about suicide to figure out which ones might be at risk. And then maybe funnel them, as the World Economic Forum and many other people would want to do, into the Trevor Project, which is a um, gender-affirming, aka grooming program, to deal with kids who might be suicidal because they feel like they're not being affirmed effectively enough or sufficiently enough in their LGBTQ fever dreams that they're having inculcated into them through comprehensive sexuality education and Walt Disney programming or Nickelodeon programming or Drag Queen Story Hour. Well, doesn't it just kind of want to make you give up to have to read all this nonsense? Like, it's so painful. I know I've made it more interesting by telling you, like, the little points of what it really means, but it's always this stuff. It's so difficult to read. It's all aspirational talk posing as justifications for widespread implementation. Aspirations aren't evidence, no matter what Castle wants to call them. Hey, this could work. This could be great. Imagine what it could do. Competency is this. Everybody's going to be happy. Going to yeah, overcome it. It's aspirational talk posing as justification. It's not justification. But feel reassured it will provide universal programming and the ability to screen for and thus spot at-risk students early on. Who cares, by the way, how much damage that does to other kids? Maybe, it, in fact, it isn't damage. Maybe it makes them at-risk because those at-risk students are backdoor access to massive amounts of money through Title I and ESSER III funding under the CARES Act. Imagine if they just redefined at-risk to cash in on that. Oh, they did. They have recently, in many states, not all the states yet, redefined at-risk to mean at-risk of graduating without being college and career ready, where college and career ready are redefined as being not fully competent in the SEL competencies. And so they have to, they, they say, look at all the kids, literally all the kids are at-risk now. And so Title I and ESSER three funding sends money to address their at-risk status, but the at-risk is at-risk of not having had enough social-emotional learning once you boil through the definitions. And imagine if they would do that. In fact, imagine that they are doing that. And stop. In fact, stop imagining. They just are doing this in many states. This should be so freaking illegal. This is literally... I, I don't even know. Theft of education is not good enough. I mean, there's, there's got to be a term for this, for what kind of... Um, you know, fraud this this represents. Uh, and it's only your children's lives, minds, and futures that are, and maybe bodies, depending on how far they go into uh, the groomer stuff, um, that are at stake here. So let's hear what they say social-emotional learning is supposed to do and what it's supposed to achieve. Social-emotional Pro learning programming, SEL programming, they say, enhances students' capacity to integrate cognition affect, that's emotions, and behavior to deal effectively with daily tasks and challenges. Like many kindred approaches, the castle domains include knowledge, skills, and attitudes that comprise intrapersonal, so inside the self, interpersonal, so in between friends, and cognitive competence, according to the National Research Council in 2012. These include self-awareness, these are the castle five, by the way, five core competency areas, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. Now, this is really interesting because we have the um, summary here from 2015, and then we have the Jaeger's report from 2019 that I already read from, and so I'm going to be able to kind of flesh out this evolving thing for you a little bit. So, one, 
Competence, this is in the book, competence in the self-awareness domain involves understanding one's emotions, personal goals, and values. This includes accurately assessing one's strengths and limitations, having positive mindsets, and possessing a well-grounded sense of self-efficacy and optimism. High levels of self-awareness require the ability to recognize how thoughts, feelings, and actions are interconnected. Now that's reproduced almost word for word in the Jaeger's paper in 2019, four years later, but they also say high levels of self-awareness require the ability to recognize one's own biases, to understand the links between one's personal and collective history and identities, and to recognize how thoughts, feelings, and actions are interconnected in and across diverse contexts. In other words, you have to be able to understand the links between one's personal and collective history and identities. Oh, so you got to have class consciousness. I got it. And you have to understand your intersectional positional, your positional uh, standing, your standpoint, as a matter of fact, so that you can come to learn from the oppressed standpoint. You have to understand where your standpoint is so you can move toward the oppressed standpoint. That's what self-awareness means. It means becoming aware that you are white, or that you are straight, or that you are an oppressor, or that you are complicit in systems of power, or that you are increasingly aware of yourself as a conscious subject who has the power to come together in solidarity against oppression to change history. It's critical consciousness. It's Marxism. Two, competence in the self-management domain requires skills and attitudes that facilitate the ability to regulate emotions and behaviors. That sounds good, right? Hmm. This includes the ability to delay gratification, manage stress, control impulses, and persevere through challenges in order to achieve personal and educational goals. Sounds really great. But wouldn't that include not exhibiting white fragility? Wouldn't it include sitting through your struggle session like a big boy and not throwing a fit? Wouldn't it include learning not to be a bad ally? Of course it would. Self-management means sitting there resiliently, as they say, and taking your struggle session. Jaegers added, four years later, it also implies appropriate expressiveness, perseverance, and being agentic in addressing personal and group-level challenges to achieve self and collectively defined goals and objectives, like anti-racism. They don't add anti-racism. I've added that. So, Self-management means not throwing a fit when they struggle session you about your race and deciding to become a trans person instead. That's good self-management. Three, competence in the social awareness domain. Do we really even have to talk about that one? I mean, that's the one I read earlier from Jaegers, but I'll finish. Domain involves the ability to take the perspective of those with different backgrounds or cultures. How about that? And to empathize and feel compassion. It also involves understanding social norms for behavior, like woke ones, like liberating tolerance, and recognizing family, school, and community resources and supports. And this is, of course, the one that Jaeger's earlier, we read, identified with critical historical grounding, which is to say literally critical Marxist or neo-Marxist social awareness. That's what it actually means. Four, relationship skills provide children with the tools. This sounds so good that they need to establish and maintain healthy and rewarding relationships and to act in accordance with social norms. Competence in this domain involves communicating clearly, listening actively. Hmm. Shut up and listen. Cooperating. Resisting inappropriate social pressure. Inappropriate. This is doing a lot of work there. Negotiating conflict constructively. 
and seeking help when it's needed. Jaegers adds, it involves communicating clearly, listening actively, cooperating, resisting selfishness, and and inappropriate social pressure, negotiating conflict constructively, seeking help and offering leadership when it is needed, and working collaboratively whenever possible. So relationship skills means being a good little bee in the Borg. Finally, responsible decision-making is a competency domain that requires the knowledge, skills, and attitudes needed to make constructive choices about personal behavior and social interactions across diverse settings. Competence in this domain requires the ability to consider ethical standards, safety concerns, accurate behavioral norms for risky behaviors, so they justify sexuality education that is a risky behavior in and of itself on the back of that, to make realistic evaluation of consequences of various actions except maybe cutting off your own genitals, and to take the health and well-being of self and others into consideration. And to this, Jaegers adds, it requires the ability to critically examine ethical standards, safety concerns, and behavioral norms for risky behavior to make realistic evaluations of benefits and consequences of various interpersonal and institutional relationships and actions, and to always make primary collective health and well-being. Okay, so this is what SEL is really about. It's very, very clear what it's about. SEL is very, very clearly a tool that's the repurposing of what Mao considered brainwashing, literally, Xinao in Chinese, thought reform as it got translated into English as an educational program for the purpose of raising critical consciousness and collectivist identity making. That's, they've made this quite clear. It, it fosters skills like um, self-management or resilience, which are to in, not exhibit white fragility or straight fragility or whatever these fragilities are associated with your privilege when you get, your, you get yourself beat down for your privilege while you're constantly learning to navigate your social world in terms of positionality. It's critical consciousness. It is neo-Marxist critical consciousness. This is neo-communist brainwashing. And the thing is, is, these people actually know this that they're educators and this isn't actually their job. You always find this kind of apologetic stance that they have to take where they defend the fact that they know what they're, what they're advising is not something they're supposed to be doing. You found it in Paulo Freire saying, yeah, well, there's all these people who say this makes people into fanatics, but that's not really what happens. People just did it wrong. That's in the pedagogy of the oppressed. That's like really early on in his work. Well, here you can read them. They know this isn't actually their job. They write Castle's inclusion of the word learning, and the term social-emotional learning, was purposeful, in other words, propaganda, was purposeful and designed to reflect the fact that the acquisition of skills and attitudes within the five competency domains is a process, and schools are one of the primary places where this learning process takes place. See, they know that it's not their job. They know that this so-called character development, etc., is overwhelmingly primarily the parents' job, but they need to shift it into the schools and so that they can control it institutionally and brainwash people with it. And so that's what they're so they added the term learning to social emotional in order to propagandize or market in that direction to claim that the schools have this role when the schools don't have this role. Now, a friend of mine pointed out recently, her name's Pamela pointed out recently that the the woke are extremely effective or marxists in general extremely are extremely effective at using dis, what appears to be descriptive language as a declarative so gender affirming care seems to describe something but it actually declares how people are going to behave and how the world's going to operate and in this case uh they, they use the word learning it seems to describe something but it actually declares 
that their purpose is to make the school the centerpiece of character development. Um, again, also, though, we remember Lukács saying that the outstanding fact of, of uh, class consciousness is that it is educable, and that's what they're tapping into here. Effective SEL approaches, they say, to promote social-emotional competencies often incorporate four elements represented by the acronym, and I kid you not, SAFE. S-A-F-E. They are one, sequenced, which is connected and coordinated set of activities to foster skills development. Two, active, active forms of learning to help students master new skills. Three, focused, a component that emphasizes developing personal and social skills. And four, explicit, targeting specific social and emotional skills. SAFE, S-A-F-E, sequenced, active, focused, and explicit. They're just not explicit about this being Marxist programming. Well, let me bring up this point again about safety and safetyism and safe here. Safe. They obsess about things being safe. The thing is that if you constantly talk to kids about what's safe and what's not safe in unrealistic ways about the social and emotional stuff, what's socially safe, what's emotionally safe, what they do is they constantly think, is this safe, is this not safe, and it's very easy to groom them into believing that perfectly normal challenges in life or difficulties in life are unsafe that need to be managed by some institutional authority. You are planting the idea in their head to worry about their safety constantly, where they are literally almost always in some of the safest environments in the world, or they would be if the schools weren't full of all these problems we're finding on the news that start with a G word that I, mean, I can't say when I specifically mean things like that, um, or Marxist programming. So we already saw some of what they've said about policy, but now in this same chapter they also talk about how it's supposed to be implemented at the policy level, because that's what this book's really about. And this is going to give us the kind of kick in the direction of the dark truth about social-emotional learning that we need. And I know this is going to be long, but it's got to be comprehensive. You've got to see the whole picture. So they say classroom and school-wide SEL programming are most likely to be successful, successfully implemented and sustained. I have to keep it going. Step five of the implementation is sustaining, sustainability. When they are aligned with district priorities and have the support of district administrators. So you need to get those guys on side, school boards and educator unions. So you got to get the administrators, the school boards and the teachers unions on board with SEL or else it won't be sustainable. You'll be able to stop it. P.S. guys, you think that this is overwhelming and we can do nothing. No, this is so fragile. This is so fragile. It's literally people recognizing what it is, saying what it is, and saying no more of this. And then when they try to change the name, hitting them with it again, no, no more of this. We're not stupid. You can't trick us. Get out. Get fired. Whatever. And it's so fragile. They're constantly telling you the whole thing's going to fall apart any day now. They know it's a tower of lies. They know that once people stand up to it, it's going to tip over. District leaders can champion policies. Imagine if they weren't doing that. Champion policies, practices, and supports for systemic... Imagine if people went after district leaders, school boards, and teachers unions by pointing out that they're complicit in what's Maoist programming. If people knew what they were doing, they wouldn't quite champion policies, practices, and supports. They can only do that when people don't know what they're doing and are falling for the sales pitch. They can only do it when people don't know what it is and are falling for the sales pitch. Keep learning and speaking up. That's all it takes. They can champion policies, practices, and supports for a systemic SEL programming by one, partnering with stakeholders to cultivate commitment for SEL, in other words, getting a cult around you, and fostering organizational supports and professional learning communities for SEL implementation. In other words, build a support group that favors what you're doing. Get a cult around you to protect you. 
So you can do this without the pressure that you're going to get from some people being overwhelming pressure that would stop you. You need to become the overwhelming pressure that will stop them. Two, auditing current district resources and needs and building from effective programming that is already underway. So co-opt stuff to your purposes. Three, supporting coordinated classroom, school-wide, and community SEL programming. In other words, make it everywhere so that you can't escape it. Maybe even Major League Baseball and NFL will start doing SEL games or announcing. Four, establishing assessment systems for continuous improvement of practice. In other words, hire commissars. Castle, they tell us, again, this is 2015, is currently partnering with eight large urban districts, Anchorage, Austin, Chicago, Cleveland, Nashville, Oakland, Sacramento, and Washoe County, Nevada, on preschool to high school system-wide SEL. One of the key ways that states can advance quality social-emotional learning programming is to establish SEL standards for students. Make it part of policy. So guess what? Do the opposite. Make policy forbidding it. Learning standards specify what students should know and be able to do as a result of educational instruction. Well-written and well-implemented standards communicate priorities to school staff members, uh, families, and students. When they provide clear goals and developmental benchmarks, standards can help shape impactful educational planning, especially if those plans include implementation of evidence-based curricula, quality professional learning for educators, and assessment that helps teachers monitor students' progress toward goals. Monitor, 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 data mine, data mine, data mine. Imagine how much of a monkey wrench it would throw into their entire set of gears if you just went state by state and banned felonious banning of the data mining of children in schools. Challenge ESSA directly. Make the legal challenge of state versus federal. Don't allow the data mining of children in schools. Their whole damn program depends on it. We're going to see that. We're going to get to the dark truth. Like I said, Illinois, they tell us, provides a groundbreaking model for freestanding preschool to high school SEL standards. Let that sink in, preschool to high school. Illinois students are expected to be working toward three SEL goals. One, develop self-awareness and self-management skills to achieve school and life success. To achieve school and life success, that's like the stuff you run for high school president on. Two, use social awareness and interpersonal skills to establish and maintain positive relationships Three, demonstrate decision-making skills and responsible behaviors in personal, school, and commodity and community contexts. Those are vague. Those are just the Castle Five repackaged and with no clear, no clarity whatsoever on what actually uh, Illinois students are expected to be working toward. And that's the model that they want pushed out to the entire U.S. to all 50 states and federally. So it's kind of interesting how back in 2015, when this book was being published, they weren't saying that it's Marxist conscientization yet. Although Marx, although Jaegers made that explicit just four years later in 2019. See, that's that evolving thing. And that change happened in about 2017. And they were leaving room open for it by saying in this book and in the World Economic Forum documents that it's evolving. Now, they also tell us that the federal government is going to be involved in the implementation of SEL, as are most, if not all, of the 50 states. They say also, and again, 2015, the U.S. Department of Education has incorporated SEL in recent rounds of race to the top and in, uh, investing in innovation competitive grants. Thanks, Obama. Some legislative initiatives focus on universal SEL approaches with the goal of promoting positive behaviors and reducing negative behaviors in all students. In all students, not one can slip through the cracks. Are you paying attention? So that justifies jacking with all the kids for broadcasting and screening. Not acceptable. But screening is going to be very important to this. For example, so with broadcasting. 
For example, recently, Congressman Tim Ryan, Democrat Ohio, anybody in his district in Ohio? For example, recently, Congressman Tim Ryan introduced bipartisan legislation, H.R. 850, Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning Act of 2015, that provides training for teachers and principals in SEL programming. That act defines SEL programming as, quote, classroom instruction and school-wide activities and initiatives that A, integrate social and emotional learning with academic achievement, B, provide systematic instruction whereby social and emotional skills are taught, modeled, practiced, and applied so that students use them as part of their daily behavior, C, teach students to apply social and emotional skills to prevent specific problem behavior such as substance abuse, violence, by bullying, and school failure, and to promote positive behaviors in class, school, and community activities, and D, establish safe and caring learning environments that foster student participation, engagement, and connection to learning in schools, end quote. And again, that's at govtrack.us slash congress slash bill slash 114 slash HR850 if you want to read the bill itself that Tim Ryan, Democrat Ohio, put forth. Ideally, this language, they say, will be incorporated in the Elementary and Secondary Education Act and other policies that the House and Senate adopt. They want it federal. Aligned federal, state, and district policies increase the likelihood that quality programming will be broadly implemented in schools and classrooms. So what you want to do is make sure that there's not that alignment. Your state and local areas should buck the system and fight the system and make it hard on them. They always want more. So listen, whatever district you are in Ohio where Tim Ryan is your congressional representative, get rid of him. Get rid of him. So what is all this allegedly based on? They say a body of correlational and longitudinal research indicates that social-emotional competencies are positively related to good adjustment outcomes and negatively related to a variety of problems. That's some pretty weak tea right there. The evidence at best is circumstantial and it's related to, in other words, it's correlational. Um, this is some weak evidence. Imagine taking really weak evidence and implementing something to the tune of many billions of dollars in all 50 states and all school systems with federal backing on very weak circumstantial evidence. In fact, how circumstantial? They say, furthermore, the magnitude of the effect sizes achieved in these areas from 0.22 to 0.57, not strong, depending on the outcome, were comparable to or higher than those reported in meta-analyses of other well-established psychosocial interventions for youth. Overall, these findings indicated that SEL interventions should be considered an effective evidence-based approach for school children. Well, according to the corrupt entities, that's what they decided, but it doesn't ever question if schools should be engaging in psychosocial interventions for youth at all, or if they should, what's the scope of practice, what's indicated, what's contraindicated, which kids in what environments, how do you identify them, what do you do with them, do you use a professional psychologist targeting individuals or very small groups of children who have specific contexts that you discovered through um, minimally intrusive means, or are you broadcasting and screening? It doesn't question which children this is appropriate for. It's not appropriate for all children. It's not appropriate to talk to most children about topics like sex or death or disease or any of these kind of horrific trauma-based things or, or trauma itself or lack of safety. It is not appropriate to talk to the overwhelming majority of children about that in order to identify the ones that might have problems. That's that's broadcasting and screening. That's actually screening. That's not acceptable. 
There's a universe of difference between targeting legitimately at-risk students through some minimally intrusive means of identifying them and then pulling them out of the specifically educational environment to engage them in a responsible program, maybe it's called social-emotional learning or something, but a responsible psychological program delivered by qualified professionals with parental permission in the appropriate therapeutic environments. There's a universal difference between that, which is responsible, and this grossly irresponsible, negligent, fraudulent, criminal, universal systemic application through all curriculum, especially given that it's based off of word game playing tricks like redefining at risk in sneaky and self-serving ways, like at risk of trauma from COVID-19 or at risk of being uh, not being SEL compliant upon graduation, which is just a circular self-serving definition. Now, they also know that everything is not grand in SEL land. They say, in other words, we should not think of SEL programs as being effective. It is well-implemented SEL programs that are effective. See, and all the data, they don't tell you this. It's evidence-based. It's evidence-based. What they don't tell you is that all the data about social-emotional learning is like this. It's all highly contextual. It's what's the program? Why is it being implemented? How is it being implemented? What's the situation with the kids? What's the situation with the person implementing it? What's their professional qualification? It's all highly contextual and all over the map. It's not exactly something that you would want to make, say, systemic throughout all of instruction on all levels, not just for parents, but every, or not just for kids, but for their parents and everybody else connected to the school and every single program and extended to all facets of a child's life and the lives of their parents through so-called communities of practice, which is what Castle's now tasking itself with pushing, establishing, and implementing. It's highly contextual. We should not think of SEL programs, this is their words, as being effective. It is well-implemented SEL programs that are effective. No, it's certain a, min- a certain um, minimal number of them, a, very, a, a certain very select few are effective. Everything else is crap. So since they're acknowledging that it doesn't always work, what happens when it goes wrong? Oh, they don't. They don't mention that. They never bring it up. They don't talk about it. Do you think they should? I mean, they're just screwing around in kids' mental, emotional, and social lives. They're just screwing around in kids' heads. If you're going to do this with people's kids, other people's kids, you damn well better know what, when, and why it goes wrong. You better know a lot about it, and you should be reporting on it. You should know what happens when it goes wrong before you try to implement it even in small-scale studies, not universal systemic application with billions of dollars in state and federal policy behind it mandating it. But that's not the point. The best that can be said of any of this part of SEL is that it's a huge open door to consultant grift on taxpayers' dimes, exactly like CRT and DEI was a gigantic grift off of civil rights law to get corporations to pay for expensive consultants to avoid possible and then hire commissars to avoid possible litigation is what they were told civil rights liability or exposure but this is actually all so much worse um, so here's a kicker that they throw they say although many social emotional learning programs have been successful we need more research to identify the active ingredients and core components of successful programs you know, they need more research. They have no idea what they're doing. They're implementing something universally without knowing how or why it works, when it works, under what conditions it works, or what happens when it goes wrong, which it's going to be going wrong in more cases than it'll go right. That's the rule of broadcasting and screening with medicine. It always goes wrong in way more cases than it goes right, and that's why you don't screen or broadcast. 
Your children are their lab rats in a universal psychosocial experiment being developed for nefarious purposes. No responsible adult who knows the first damn thing about anything would do this. There is another purpose. It's not even merely the brainwashing of kids, which is another purpose. There is a deeper purpose to this. This should all be illegal. We should be firing these people. We should be discussing the lengths of their prison sentences. Judges should be mulling this over for the amount of evil and damage and negligence and fraud that is behind this. The amount of intentional and negligent child abuse that's come along with social-emotional learning and its widespread implementation, not to mention the extensive learning loss, the theft of education, is actually incalculable. Prison for SEL is a necessity. People need to stop implementing this. These people need to be fired and put in prison when they're doing it intentionally and won't stop. This should be considered felonious. It gets worse. Remember all that culturally competent stuff that we heard about in social emotional learning when we read through the Jaeger's paper and the other papers that I've read about? They don't know how that works either, as it turns out. And they have no idea when it seems to. They have no idea if it does work, why. They say, although research has indicated that social-emotional learning interventions can be effective with diverse ethnic and cultural groups, we do not know how or whether modifications can make current programs more effective for different subgroups. Can be, not are, and they don't know how, when, why it works, if it does work at all, or how to make them better. But they're going to force them into universal implementation anyway. No big deal. It's just psychological and social experiment experimentation on other people's kids in the trust of the public and private schools they're being sent to by their parents. Other people entrust, people entrust the schools with their children to be educated and protected, not raised, for several hours a day, five days a week. That's the broad, broad bargain of the society that we're in, and that trust didn't erode overnight, and these people have taken advantage of it. And they're implementing wide-scale experimentation, psychological experimentation on kids, on your kids, on not their kids. People send their kids to school to be educated, not to be tinkered with and not to be brainwashed, and certainly not to be data-mined for whatever purposes are behind that. The complicity of state and federal governments in this is also unconscionable. unconscionable. It's completely nefarious. It, it should be the site of massive class action lawsuits, not just against these institutions, but against the state and federal governments for implementing this. A little bit later, they say, promoting the widespread use of evidence-based approaches has become an important topic in fields such as medicine, education, and mental health treatment and prevention. Unfortunately, in each of these areas, there's a wide gap between research and practice, in the sense that evidence-based programs may be applied far more broadly than they currently are. The same goes for SEL programs. Listen to them. They don't know what they're doing with this stuff. They don't know what they're doing with the race stuff. They don't know what they're doing with the gender stuff. This is gross malpractice in multiple domains, but it's psychological practice on children without licenses in uncontrolled, non-therapeutic spaces. This be, this be, these people should go to prison. Seriously. It, it needs to be on the table. And any laws that are currently sheltering these people, the people who are implementing this on purpose, sheltering them from liability and criminal exposure need to be repealed now. Laws pointing in the other direction need to come into place in every single state and federally. So what do they think about their lack of evidence? Say They, need to, they say they need to do more of it so they can gather the evidence. I'm not kidding. They need to build the plane while they fly it. 
In other words, they need to experiment on your kids, psychologically and socially. Quote, scientific fields cannot progress very far in the absence of good measurement of critical constructs. Progress in SEL can be made in terms of both the breadth, breadth and type of assessment that are routinely conducted. In terms of breadth, it's important to investigate as many outcomes as possible in order to learn how different programs can help students. In terms of developing new types of assessments, it is critically important to have measures of the many different abilities that comprise the first five SEL domains. Although a few tools are currently available, the field needs to develop additional valid assessment strategies that encompass the full range of skills and attitudes. They have a few tools, don't worry. They need more, though. Assessment of multiple social-emotional competencies would help to determine which types of interventions would be most beneficial for which students for mon and for monitoring students' progress over time in order to make adjustment in the type of pacing or pro of programming and to judge how well an intervention promotes its targeted skills. Moreover, they need to know how well they're brainwashing their ki your kids. Moreover, it would be very helpful if valid, easy-to-use assessment tools could be developed in the regular school context. In other words, you could develop the tools to measure what's going on in the schools that shouldn't be implementing it until after the, it's been tested. Um, that is, those that can be competently administered and interpreted by school staff members and do not require extensive time. None of this adds up. But if you understand what ESSA from 2015, the Every Student Succeeds Act, thanks Obama, actually did. No, 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 thanks Obama. Thanks Linda Darling Hammond and a bunch of idiotic and corrupt Congress people, like Tim Ryan, plus Obama. Once you understand that this is all heavily linked to building the plane while you fly it through surveying children and collecting so-called learning data on them. Now this means we get to start turning toward the true dark truth of SEL, which is going to be um, what we're seeing from people who are interested in this topic and the data that come out of it, undeniably including the World Economic Forum, to whom we will turn next. Okay, and so with that, what we're going to do now is we're going to turn out of this handbook of social-emotional learning and uh, research and practice, and we're going to switch over to a document from the World Economic Forum from 2016, March of 2016, in fact, um, it labeled under their industry agenda uh, heading, uh, which is titled The New Vision for Education, Fostering Social and Emotional Learning Through Technology. So the World Economic Forum, which is kind of the axis of evil in the world today, this kind of neo-communist push into our society, has been eyeballing, actually since not 2016, but at least 2015, social-emotional learning very specifically. Now, what is significant about 2015 and 16. Well, that's right after ESSA passed and made this a policy agenda uh, that was something that could be um, kind of kind of manipulated and, and taken advantage of. So now we have the World Economic Forum around this same time that that we're having a the handbook, b um, the Every Student Succeeds Act, uh, making social emotional learning a thing. Uh, that's now mandated by policy that schools don't have to specifically do social-emotional learning, per se, although some states are requiring this by this, many, if not most states, by 2015 were requiring it. All 50 states actually had implementation at some level, according to the handbook, by 2015 and 16. Uh, but we now have ESSA that's requiring the reporting on non-academic competencies uh, in order to receive federal money for education. So you have this lever, and that's Linda Darling-Hammond again, who's right behind that. 
but they're putting this out in 2016, March 2016. Remember, again, every time we bring up the World Economic Forum and how many things they put out in 2016, you have to remember what year it was. If you recall from another episode I've done recently here on the New Discourses podcast, or a couple of recent episodes, this is also the same year they put out their policy document for their, 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 their white paper, I guess, their agenda document for how to incorporate faith into creating the new public-private partnership, circular economy, stakeholder, or whatever you want to call it, um, global fascio-communism that they're trying to install. 2016 was the year that they thought they were about to get it all. They were 100% or 99.9% certain that Hillary Clinton was going to get elected president, and alongside people like Jacinda Ardern in uh, New Zealand and whatever their cronies in Australia and... Um, whatever they had going on between Boris Johnson or whatever else in the United Kingdom, you know, Brexit looming. And then, uh, of course, Justin Trudeau in Canada, they were pretty certain, Emmanuel Macron in France, they were pretty certain that they were going, I shouldn't leave out Angela Merkel in, in Germany, they were pretty certain they were going to be able to just usher this program forward. But this really hinged heavily upon Hillary Clinton beating Donald Trump in the 2016 election. So they actually put out an unbelievable wealth of material. The very famous, you will own nothing and be happy. Everything you own, everything you have, you will rent and it will be delivered by drone. And we're going to push Western values past their breaking point. That creepy video that World Economic Forum put out, the World Economic Forum's you will own nothing and be happy video was in 2016 when they thought they were about to be able to usher in the new world before getting delayed by the big bad orange man. And so in this document, they're using the new vision for education, which is fostering social emotional learning, but specifically through technology. And this is what's going to allow us to understand the dark truth of social emotional learning, because now this huge, weird, creepy globalist entity is pushing it as the new vision for education and tying it to technology. Turns out that all the brainwashing techniques are actually downstream from the dark truth about it, which is that it is a data mining and information gathering program. It is designed to be able to use the justification of preparing people for 21st century skills and brainwashing them to accept this new way of life after they figure out how to gather the relevant data to build that world and to build them to be the people into it. Social emotional learning's dark truth is that it is a gigantic data mining operation so that they can learn enough about populations to control them as well as to market to them perfectly. And that's what we're going to discover as we start to work our way through this World Economic Forum document and then into a actual academic paper that just tells us, tells us that's what it's actually for by the end of the podcast. So here at the segue point, two-thirds of the way, or one-third of the way through, I guess, we'll see, um, we're going to dive into this World Economic Forum New Vision for Education document, again, March 2016, as an industry agenda. And what's the relevance of it being an industry agenda? This is basically the World Economic Forum saying, hey, look, ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds, why can't I say that? Every Student Succeeds Act passed in the United States in 2015. We think we're about to get the get the whole golden goose with our, our preferred candidates and um, attention industry. We're going to facilitate the production of a river of gold in ed tech. We're going to be able to make you very rich if you go along with this agenda. If you start producing the materials to make this technology-driven uh, social-emotional learning platform, 
there's going to be tons and tons and tons of billions upon billions of dollars of uh, potential revenue for you in this. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what has happened. That's exactly what has happened. Uh, these industries have risen to the challenge on the back of this clarion call from the World Economic Forum in response to these policy changes that were kind of put in on the back of the same broadly broad speaking agenda that's pushed by various entities like the OECD and UNESCO to create this economy of the future and the people who are going to be in it. And so what did they tell us in this document? We're going to read quite a bit of this because I really want you to hear the scary middle part with the technology. Um, it's in a number of chapters, four chapters, I think. Um, but they begin this way. They say to thrive in the 21st century. So they got to do the sales pitch. The 21st century, guys, is going to be completely different. It's not going to be like any time in human history before. And you're going to have to have a completely new world that we're going to manage uh, to thrive in it. That's the consistent message of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. To thrive in the 21st century, students need more than traditional academic learning. This is starting to sound already very much like Maurice Elias, who you should look up and decide if he looks like a, a G-word. They must be adept at collaboration, communication, and problem solving, which are some of the skills developed through social and emotional learning, SEL. Well, that may be true that they need to be adept at collaboration, communication, and problem solving, but is that really what social emotional learning provides? Coupled with mastery of traditional skills, which I don't know when that's supposed to happen. That's not happening in Providence, Rhode Island, where 14% of the students can read at grade level and 6% can do math at grade level, though they, I'm sure, are socially and emotionally competent to some degree. Coupled with mastery of traditional skills, social and emotional proficiency will equip students to succeed in the swiftly evolving digital economy. See, there's going to be a new economy. Everything's going to be different. They need new skills like social skills, because it's a digital economy where you can be on your computer at your house all the time. And it doesn't have to make sense because the purpose isn't what they're saying it is. In 2015, they tell us the World Economic Forum published a report that focused on this pressing issue of the 21st century skills gap and ways to address it through technology, titled New Vision for Education, Unlocking the Potential of Technology. Now, I've read through this. I don't think it's all that interesting, and I don't think it's significantly different um, from what we're going to see here. This is actually kind of a summary document that I think does a better job of communicating and specifically tying it to SEL. So we're not going to go backwards and read through the 2015 document as well. But notice this part, the pressing issue of the 21st century skills gap and the ways to address it through technology. So the skills gap, the World Economic Forum, and remember my friend Pamela's difference between declarative and... Uh, descriptive and declarative. They claim to be describing what the 21st century is going to look like, but they're declaring what the 21st century is going to be because they're rigging it up. So the 21st century skills gap, they're saying there's a skills gap between the uh, skills that are going to be needed by people and the economy that we're trying to build versus the economy that we're trying to take them out of. And so that they're not describing that there's a skills gap. They try to paint it like they're describing the pitfalls of a potential future, but in fact they're declaring that they're building a potential future that's significantly different in which these gaps exist. These gaps don't have to exist by virtue of the 21st century or technology. They're being made to exist, at least in part, if not in total, or in, in biggest picture, uh, or in biggest part, I should say. They're being made to exist, and then they're using that as the justification to transform the system of education to their purposes. Isn't that convenient? They're making the new economy and the people to populate it at the same time. 
In that report, they said, we defined a set of 16 crucial proficiencies for education in the 21st century. Those skills include six, quote, foundational literacies, such as literacy, numeracy, and scientific literacy, and 10 skills with, that we labeled either competencies, uh-huh, or character qualities. You know, the World Economic Forum is going to teach you character, guys. Competencies are the means by which students approach complex challenges. They include collaboration, communication, and critical thinking, and problem solving. Critical thinking, eh? Character qualities are the ways in which students approach their changing environment. They include curiosity, adaptability, and social and cultural awareness. Oh, that social and cultural awareness thing that we just heard is outright Marxist in SEL as it's being implemented. How about that? How about that? And so then it references us to figure one, which is another, or exhibit one, sorry, which is this kind of goofy drawing they have. But what it really does is just lists, it's really just a goofy drawing, but it lists in sort of a picture-ish form these 16 literacies and competencies and character qualities, these 16 uh, competencies that they're going for. So the foundational literacies are literacy, being able to read, numeracy, being able to do math, scientific literacy, ICT, or in other words, computer literacy, financial literacy, and cultural and civic literacy. Of course, that's being taught through like the 1619 Project, so it's really um, purposed functional illiteracy. And then there are the competencies, and they list four, critical thinking and problem solving, creativity, communication, and collaboration. Remember, we're reading the sales pitch, by the way. And then there are these character qualities, curiosity, initiative, persistence and grit, adaptability, leadership, and social and cultural awareness. So that's what they give us. And they go on to say in our current report, new vision for education, one whole year later, the new vision, fostering social and emotional learning through technology. We follow up on our 2015 report by exploring how these competencies and character qualities do more than simply deepen 21st century skills. Together, they lie at the heart of SEL, and are every bit as important as the foundational skills required for traditional academic learning. Now time is actually zero sum. You have not increased the amount of time available for education, so now you're doing a lot of the hard job of character and values programming, not just even education, and somehow you're still supposed to arrive at le high levels of mathematics, computer, history, science, um, reading competency, which we see in practice since the time of the writing of this, is not happening. Schools are failing abysmally. The more of these programs that they put into place, the worse schools do at adequately preparing kids to be able to read, to write, to understand why they should learn to read and write, or do math or science, or understand history correctly. Um, this is actually a huge experiment that is costing the futures of many children uh, that are emerging into adulthood right now that has been ongoing. Remember, this is a document from six years ago. Um, this is, everywhere we see this implemented, all we're seeing is failure. We're not seeing success. Of course, that's because in a recent document that we'll turn to briefly a little bit later, uh, what we're going to find out is that the ed tech companies did it wrong. That's why the World Economic Forum published another article this year, recently, last month, as a matter of fact, or in the last two months, arguing that the reason that we haven't had this success that they predicted in their stupid paper back here in 2016 is because the companies did it wrong. So corporate leaders, get used to this. They're asking you to produce a result 
through a technique that will not produce that result. And when that doesn't happen, they're going to blame you and say you did it wrong. And they're going to hold hostage your investment capital, your stock value, uh, all kinds of things as a result of you having done it wrong when what they actually gave you was something impossible to do. Welcome to a Soviet economy. This is how they work. This is what you've enabled. This is what you're helping. And this is what will take over permanently if you don't get your act together and start speaking up against these crooks. You have to understand. But these lie at the heart of SEL, these skills. And then they go on to say, you know, that they're every bit as important as the foundational skills that are nobody's learning, that they're not succeeding at. And it's your fault, corporations, for trying through a method that was never going to work, by the way, uh, that you got tricked into. But you got rich off of tr getting tricked into it. So everybody win-win, right? Except for society and the kids in the future um, for the, that are that are every bit as important as the foundational skills required for traditional academic learning. And then I, I bolded this in my notes. I put, although many stakeholders have defined SEL more narrowly, we believe the definition of SEL is evolving. So they're going to do universal implementation of a program with a definition that's not set, but it has the same name, right? They use the same acronym. So it doesn't matter if it's a completely different thing using the same acronym. We're just going to put this into play universally through massive technology to do an experiment on children. Do you not understand how effed up this is? How absolutely criminal this is? Do you not understand what a absolute disaster it is to give this much money and power to a corrupt and evil organization who says that the foundational definition of the thing they want to implement on the world's children is evolving. In fact, it has evolved between 2016 when this was published, and I bet you they knew this, in 2019, when the Jaegers paper was published about transformative SEL, the definition of social emotional learning transformed completely. It's a completely new thing that is literally Marxist programming. But its definition is evolving. But it's the same thing, so implement it. Do you not get that this is a trick? We define SEL broadly, they say, to encompass the 10 competencies and character qualities. So it's really vague. They define it vaguely so that as long as it touches on those 10 things, which now they've forgotten about the six fundamental academic things, then you see we to encompass the 10 competencies and character qualities where did the six academic things go whoops they were never important that was fake it's a sales pitch as is the case with traditional academic learning i bolded this part technology can be invaluable at enabling sel that's what this is really about is technology because we're going to learn about the dark heart of sel which is not what you think the dark truth about it is that it is a techno fascist program i'm giving away the story too soon the 2015 report, by the way, doesn't say anything particularly outstanding in, in, in comparison to this report, but I want to draw your attention to those two points that I bolded, that I mentioned that I bolded in my notes here. Um, they're of crucial importance if we're really going to understand what social-emotional learning is about. So first is the fact, like I just ranted on, that the definition is evolving according to the World Economic Forum. You have to understand that that means that what they're actually going to implement is going to be different than what they sell you on. And what they sell you on today is not the thing that's going to be implemented. Even if it, even if you buy the product you think you're buying in two years, it's going to be different. And the policies are going to demand that you keep doing it even though the product changed. This is fraud. This is absolutely fraud. I'm not, I don't know how to communicate this to people. This is fraud. You buy a product and then the product changes. 
just like your electric car will be able to change into something that you don't have any control of, that will take you where it wants you to, when it wants you to, and not other times. You buy a product and then it changes later. And that's exactly what we've already seen with SEL, like I already said. We've transformed from models like civic responsive or sorry, for like personal responsibility and civic participation. Those models of SEL, which they have their own positives and negatives. And as we get into the participatory models, more negatives and positives. Through transformative SEL, they've gone from targeted interventions with individual classrooms, uh, particular unique schools, or most importantly, specific individuals uh, engaged by professionals who are qualified to deal with those issues in a proper therapeutic setting to systemic SEL throughout the entire school. So I even made, built a grid out at one point, and I think I've talked about it in a previous episode, um, of nine possible orientations of SEL, and they use a couple of the kind of like safer ones to sell it, personal responsibility teaching that targets individual kids who are having issues, or maybe occasionally a classroom or whatever, and an occasional project-based learning environment here or there, and they sell you on that, and then they implement systemic transformative SEL, which is the complete revamping of the entire educational program, not just the school, but everything connected to and around the school, as they say, into communities of practice, which is like a church centered on the school, to implement transformative SEL, which is not personal responsibility modeled. It is, in fact, Marxist. It's collectivist explicitly. Critical consciousness is its goal. So they're literally doing a bait and switch on you, a literal bait and switch. Okay, and it's what they're actually selling now is systematic and systemic straight up Marxist brainwashing that's achieved through nudging, that's nudge theory as they call it, and manipulating children's emotions and social experiences. But they only do that following the Frarian generative themes approach after rampantly data mining them to figure out what will actually work in that capacity. Remember, and I'm not going to rant, I've done hours and hours and hours and hours of podcasts on Frary. I've given talk after talk in public about Frary. I'm not going to go on and on, but just to summarize, I've also written a book that should be coming out soon about Frary. Just to summarize this idea of the generative method, the idea with the generative method is very straightforward. You talk to or dialogue with or survey or data mine your potential students or learners. You find out what agitates them what hits them, what their social and emotional grievances and emotional trigger points are. And then you turn that around and you abstract that idea into what Ferrari called a codification that you show them. And you show them the codified version of their own life, some abstract representation, a book, a story, a math problem, an image, a picture, a drawing, a movie. They can see this as something that's happening to somebody else. It establishes critical distance, Ferrari says. Then you engage in a three-step decodification process after you've shown them this abstract. So first you find out the problems that are going to agitate them emotionally. Then you feed that back to them as though it's somebody else's problem. That's the codification part. That's abstracting it. Then you teach them to read that situation. That's what Ferrari calls it because he's teaching literacy, right? But he's reading a situation. Like in the Drag Queen Story Hour paper where they base it off of Paula Ferrari and they say that they read each other's looks, they read the room, but they aren't learning to actually read, right? And so you 
You, you teach them to read the political context of the situation and understand it. Then you teach them to problematize the situation, which is to do a Marxist analysis of it and understand it from a Marxist perspective. And then the final step of decodification is you personalize it. You point out that the abstract thing is their own life. So what you've done is you've extracted from them what will agitate them, step one. Then step two, you feed that back to them in an abstract image so that they can step aside from it and analyze it. Then step three, you teach them to read the political relevance that they see there. They're not just learning to read here or do math. Then you teach them why it's Marxist on a Marxist level problematic. This is the brainwashing part. This is teaching them to recognize from the people or the oppressed perspective or standpoint that we were talking about before. Then you say, by the way, this is you. This was your life. Could you imagine what it would feel like to be XYZ? You bring it back home to personalize it. And then you have the political radicalization you want. The step after that, according to Paulo Freire, is that the kids will be so engaged that they'll want to learn. They'll want to learn the math to be able to solve the problem that they now recognize in their own life. They want to learn to read so they can study the problem they now recognize in their own life. But in reality, that's not what happens. The people are emotional wrecks, to quote directly from an experimental paper putting this into practice in Nigeria. They became emotional wrecks. They no longer saw the point in learning. They turned on and attacked their teachers. It's a complete disaster. So this is what Ferrari is about. This is what we're seeing the World Economic Forum push here. Now, the second point that I want to draw your attention to isn't just that they're having this evolving definition into Marxist brainwashing on the back of something that might have some useful efficacy here and there or be valuable in certain contextual situations as the data actually bear out in certain contextual situations applied by certain types of professionals with certain types of people in certain types of classrooms. It does have some success. That's the sales pitch. They say, look how great it is. So let's do a systemic transformative SEL, which is a completely different product, transformative SEL being implemented in a completely systemic broadcasting and screening way, completely inappropriate. And what they're actually doing is using that as the excuse to bring in the transformative program, the, 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 the Freirean program of brainwashing to your kids. But the key is the role of technology is crucial because none of it works unless they can data mine. It starts with the data mining. It starts with the gathering the data. Ferrari recommended in the 60s and 70s doing this by dialogue. They have much more sophisticated tools, and that's why SEL competencies following uh, the Every Student Succeed Act, Succeeds Act in 2015 requires, thanks to Linda Darling Hammond, relentless and absurd and obtrusive, intrusive, I should say, uh, surveying, personal surveying of the students. Your kids are filling out survey after survey after survey. Now, remember when they tricked everybody back in the day on social media and it was like, you know, which Avenger are you? Which uh, Care Bear are you? Which um, Infinity Stone are you? Which, you know, you pick your favorite thing. Which classic novel protagonist are you? And you fill out all these stupid little quizzes that were secretly personality tests and then they would tell you, you're the Pink Ranger or whatever it was that was gratifying to your your um, ego, and then you would share your result and the survey with your friends on Facebook, and it turned out that entities like Cambridge Analytica were running those to do big five personality surveys of people attached to their, their Facebook accounts that they then used to figure out how to exactly to propagandize you in a particular way to try to vote, etc. Or so we were told that's what they did anyway. Turns out that data mining, that surveying things is really important. So they survey your kids relentlessly. Why? Because they understand that if they really understand who your kids are, they can nudge them into either economic or political behavior patterns that they want them to inhabit. That's the idea. 
They can market and propagandize to your children basically seamlessly. What they do is they sell that then by saying that it, it helps facilitate learning goals. But the learning goals are the 10 competencies of SEL that are not the academic ones. They literally, we just read that they forgot about those. So the role of technology is crucial because you have to be able to gather and crunch the numbers on all that data. So it can be read in a lot of ways, of course. One of them is that uh, is that we this just cannot be ignored in light of what we're already seeing then is that they have um, relatively poor data and they have a desire to intervene on the emotions of kids and so on. Um, what, what's going on then is that there's a clear indicator light flashing here. It's like your check engine light should be blinking at you, not just turned on. That using technology can be invaluable to achieving the real goals of SEL, the dark truth about SEL, which go way beyond educating. In fact, they're nothing to do with educating. It goes way beyond mere brainwashing. And that's what we're going to unfold here. Because you see, the World Economic Forum is going after installing something like communism and its kissing cousin fascism, or actually a blend of the two, in a new way in the world. Earlier attempts at this, you know, at communist revolutions tried to create the economy and then force people to fit into it. That's the disaster of the Soviet model. Or they attempted to make the people who would then make the economy. That was the disaster, the disaster in China. And it didn't work. None of it worked. The World Economic Forum is trying to do both at once. They're trying to make the new economy and the new people, and they're going to build them in relation to one another. And that requires an immense amount of data. And that data is needed to do the world building, but also for the people building. Remember Marx's goal was to build the man, to build the society, to build the world? You have to have tremendous amounts of data to build out the world that you want people to live in and simultaneously to shape the people into the world that's being built. And that's what they're doing. And they need massive, massive, massive quantities of human data for the people who are going to inhabit this world who are primarily children right now. So they're going to data mine them in school so they can intervene in their social and emotional learning, which they openly claim they have no idea how to do, so more data is needed. Do you see the circularity? Do you see the trick? Do you see the grift? Do you see the evil, the fraud, the rampant fraud? Social-emotional learning is. As they tell us, this is back to the World Economic Forum white paper, as we explore in chapter one of this report, social and emotional skills are critical to the workforce of the future. There you go. The kinds of skills that SEL addresses, such as problem solving and collaboration, are increasingly necessary for the labor market. According to one estimate, 65% of children entering grade school will ultimately work in jobs that don't exist today. According to one estimate, just one, just like there was a one model of how COVID was going to work. And in 1972, which I only mentioned because we're talking about the World Economic Forum, the Club of Rome put out one model about how we were going to run out of resources and collapse the world economy and the world's carrying capacity and everybody was going to starve to death. And we we're going to run out of metal in the year 2000 in this book called Limits to Growth that stimulated one Klaus Schwab to bring exactly those people to Davos to speak at the European Management Forum, which became the World Economic Forum meeting in 1973. Book published in 72, World Economic Forum jumped right on these crackpots, according to one estimate, uh, 1973, the next year. So according to one estimate, 65% of children entering grade school will ultimately work in jobs that don't exist today, putting creativity, initiative, and, and adaptability at a premium. But is that really what social-emotional learning is teaching people? Shouldn't you be teaching them how to learn new and complex material and not screwing around with their identity politics all the time, if that's true? 
Another study, so oh, they've got two studies, shows that jobs are increasingly social skills intensive. So what? SEL will prepare today's students for this evolving workplace. Yeah, because that's worked so well so far. Yeah, right. I mean, why do we? Why should we believe these people? Because they wrote it down and one study said there's a possible problem and here's a possible solution. Therefore, let's mainstream this at the full tilt with billions of dollars and every school system on board. This is madness that we would be thinking about, that we would be accepting this. But it's not madness. It's bad policy enabling the carrot of billions and billions of revenue for the companies that are going to do this and massive amounts of control for the so-called council of stakeholders is going to be in charge of all of this. And then he says, with consequent benefits for individuals, businesses, the economy, and society, SEL confers academic success as well. They add that on like they forgot about it. What we have, whoops, it's in school. Academic success happens too, don't worry. Just like Freire constantly forgets about literacy and he puts it down on the end of radicalization in politics. And then in reality, when you apply it, nobody learns to read. These valuable social and emotional skills, they tell us, can be developed at any point in a child's life, although it can be highly effective to introduce SEL early and embed it in the core curriculum throughout a child's schooling. Research suggests that early childhood is a critical period for, attain for attaining important skills, and also that augmenting such early learning at later ages is necessary, complementary, and effective. Early childhood. I just saw an interview, and I wish I could remember who I was with, but one of these ghouls and one of these globalist entities talking about how uh, if they don't basically get the children by the age of like six kind of brainwashed into this, that certain certain uh, developmental capacities shut down completely, like their their ability to understand what is and is not normal. Uh, and it's like there's developmental stages and they need to, they, they don't study developmental psychology so they can be developmentally appropriate. They study developmental psychology so they can understand where to intervene to make sure that they capture children. The woman's point in that video was literally that she was going to try, that, that, that it's a disaster that we're letting so many kids fall through the cracks and be educated by their parents. It's a disaster. They might point in any direction. They might be conservatives. They're learning to be bigots, she was insisting, because their ideas about what's right and wrong and, and as they start to solidify early in childhood are not being groomed by these people who've decided they know the right course for everything through, say, social-emotional learning. The World Economic Forum says these valuable social and emotional skills... Whoops, I already did that part. Sorry, uh, I already read that. Early childhood, though. They're really coming after early childhood. It's it's complementary and necessary for later ages, but it's the critical period is early childhood. And that's why they're so interested in queering and remaking early childhood development psychology and early childhood education. Remember, when we read through Groom, the paper that I did for Groomer Schools too, they were very, very clear, and many, many papers exist that target childhood innocence and the idea of innocence in children, but also of child development, childhood development psychology needing to be queered. They need to change the developmental psychology to start to so that the evidence-based version of it, as they would call it, satisfies what they need it to say. They need to revamp what early childhood developmental psychology says so that they can justify these manipulative programs. But this is our children we're talking about yet again, experimenting on them and manipulating them and data mining them to do it. Uh, as we discuss in chapter two, they say education technology, and then we're going to really focus on that, has the potential to play a pivotal role in fostering SEL efficiency, efficiently, I should say, and cost effectively. We see technology as a tool that a parent, educator, or caregiver can use 
as a uh, to uh, can use to complement and extend the learning experience. Sorry, I stalled out. The parent, educator, or caregiver. Oof. So it's not enough that it's happening in school or through some digital friend on your iPad. No, it's a tool. Technology allows parents, educators, and caregivers to complement and extend the learning experience, especially given the host of emerging technologies that go beyond traditional screens. Like what? Oh, like the metaverse. These innovations are capable of mixing the physical and virtual worlds, see, and facilitating forms of human interaction impossible a decade ago. Yeah, like you're gonna, your kid's going to grow up in like the equivalent of like Grand Theft Auto meets Twitter. What a wonderful in this world of Warcraft where you can just turn yourself into a cat or whatever. Who cares? Like, oh, yeah, you can live it as a cat in the virtual world, but you have to be a boring little boy in reality. Technology such as virtual, augmented, and mixed reality, robots, video chats on mobile devices, and virtual tutors allow for a much less passive and more interactive experience. Does that freak you out at all? It should. This is what they're envisioning. To understand the landscape, we surveyed more than 2,000 educators and parents around the world. That's chosen how. There are a lot of people. To understand, oh, sorry, uh, analyzed patterns of educated re education-related venture capital funding. Aha. Uh -huh. Money, money, money. And assessed a host of education technology products. By the way, they published something earlier this year, this summer, just in the last couple of months, talking about 14 ed tech products that are really doing great to intervene on kids' mental health, and they listed among them the Trevor Project. If you don't know what the Trevor Project is, I urge you strongly to look it up. It is a allegedly suicide prevention hotline for LGBTQ youth. And so this kid has been groomed into this weird, uncomfortable, unstable, destabilized, in fact, identity, sexual gender identity, often at young ages, and they are feeling suicidal or like they're going to self-harm. So now somebody has to come in and be a safety net. And the Trevor Project is there to do relentless gender-affirming care. Whatever it is, affirming care to them digitally, privately, pulling them further down the rabbit hole with all kinds of devices built in at a push of a button. They can actually nuke the entire conversation so the parents can never see what it was. These are other other these are adults and older teenagers and other that don't even know your kid online, that have set up a dedicated service to exploiting the fact that they're vulnerable so that they can, in a way that they can be easily hidden from parents, that practices explicitly the so-called gender-affirming care that I've identified with the G word that we're not allowed to say. And the World Economic Forum, and it should raise, again, the hair on the back of your neck should go up. The World Economic Forum lists it 14 technology programs that are really helping with kids' mental health. Trevor Project makes the list. Why, I looked up, I went to the World Economic Forum website and I just typed in the search bar, Trevor Project. Hundreds of articles mentioning the Trevor Project. What is the partnership between the World Economic Forum and the Trevor Project? What the hell's going on here? It's a disaster. But there it is. As a result, they tell us we have developed a high priority list of the learning strategies and technology futures that are most critical to promoting SEL. We've also identified three key opportunities to use technology to advance SEL. One, capitalize on what works. Parents, educators, and caregivers can benefit from existing edtech products with features that, are alre that already promote SEL, again, including the Trevor Project. 
Standards based on SEL-related features can help identify products with the potential to have the greatest impact on teaching social and emotional skills. Let me just pause, by the way. There's a parent. This seriously got, like, kind of memory hold. There was a parent who did an expose and pretended to be an 11-year-old that signed up for the, the Trevor Project. I think a lot of people should do this. I think a lot of people should go pretend to be a child on the Trevor Project and just see how far they'll take you down the rabbit hole. See what they'll do with you. See what they'll affirm. See what they'll encourage in the name of protecting kids from suicide. Um, I think a lot of people should be doing this and doing some serious investigative reporting on it. Um, secondly, embed SEL into foundational ed tech products. Creatively embedding social-emotional learning features into products that support foundational academic skills such as literacy and numeracy can extend SEL to areas where the vast majority of investment is already flowing. So first of all, notice it's framed out in terms of capturing investment money. So that's what this document's really about. But notice that what it's also doing is talking about the theft of purpose. You have actual platforms that are dedicated to trying to help kids, or maybe they're capitalizing upon trying to help kids learn to read, learn to do math, learn basic academic competencies. And the World Economic Forum is, hey, here's this huge opportunity to embed SEL into it. Why would they be saying that? Why would they be telling the um, investor or companies that the, the, the ed tech should take what they're already doing and maybe that they're succeeding and then they should embed SEL into it. Well, because SEL is their new vision for the future. And so they're telling those companies in, in essence, you better do this if you want to keep on the gravy train. This is where the money's actually going to go. And so what they're doing is creating incentive structures that are going to cause these companies to produce SEL related garbage that actually damages kids while collecting reams of data on them through technology as opposed to actually servicing, you know, the, the, the objectives of teaching them, helping them learn to read or write or do mathematics or whatever other skill that tech could actually help do. And then three, the scary shit, expand the realm of the possible. Innovative new technologies such as wearable devices, virtual reality, and apps can enable students to master important social and emotional skills. Yeah, you're going to get great social and emotional skills in World of Warcraft in the metaverse. Not what happened when they launched the metaverse, like in beta, like immediately all these people were like, I get sexually assaulted in digital form, like repeatedly all the time. Yeah, you can foster some great social emotional skills there, guys. Real freaking great. You create a virtual world that looks and feels sort of real with absolutely no real world consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you are raping people's minds. You're destroying people's minds. This is a freaking disaster. What a bunch of fucking idiots that created this. Are you shitting me? God dang. Not only do these technologies, listen, wearable devices for your kids, guys, for education purposes. N no data mining happening here for weird purposes. Not only do these technologies embrace and extend tried and true ways of fostering SEL, they offer potential for exciting new learning strategies. All I can say is yikes. Yikes. Because like, I don't want to swear like 18 more times right now. So then they list some challenges to overcome before we kind of break into this. As I'm still in the executive summary. Several barriers stand in the way of achieving the full benefits of SEL and related technologies, as we discuss in Chapter 3. They include limited awareness, insufficient prioritization, now in bold, a lack of consensus about measurements. They don't even know what they're measuring. They're just doing giant experiments on your kids, and they'll figure out what they need to measure as they go. Low levels of funding and resources and an, and an inadequate supply of programs and products. Further, and I put this in bold, stakeholders still lack consensus on the definition of social-emotional learning and a means of, of assessing implementation and measuring outcomes. 
Such a lack of agreement leads to poor accountability and inadequate resources. So just pause again. Ask yourself, should they be implementing any of this at scale? They don't know what they're doing. How is this anything but a gigantic psychological experiment and social engineering experiment being done in real time on virtually all children at one time? So then ask yourself as follow-up, how is this not criminal? Why are people making billions of dollars off of this and nothing happening to protect kids from it? How is it possible that states like North Carolina in the United States have passed laws in advance of implementing social-emotional learning in a widespread uh, broadcast and screening fashion in that state, that they passed laws saying that, that teachers implementing this cannot be held liable for any of the damages that come up from implementing psychological interventions or psychological treatment without a license on children in classrooms because they know how is any of this happening corruption on the grandest scale corruption that can only come along in what i call or my friends call a fourth world country which is a communist country this is the first world that's good i don't know for sure exactly what the second world is the developing world i suppose then there's a the third world the undeveloped world and then there's a the fourth world country that's communist it's china what do they say about all this, though? Based on our analysis of different situations that led to successful public policy change, we believe it will take the combined efforts of a group of stakeholders, that is, a council, or we remember the Russian for that, Soviet, including policymakers, educators, parents, researchers, businesses, technology developers, and investors to overcome the challenges facing both SEL and related education technologies. We're going to build the plane when we fly it, guys. No big deal. It's your kids on the plane. As we explore in Chapter 4, policymakers in particular must stand at the forefront of setting the agenda for policy change, prioritizing efforts to foster SEL and related assessments and measurements in education. Oh, that's how we got here. Hi, North Carolina. That's how we got here. I see. The penetration into the cabinets and state governments by the WEF is how we got here. Because policymakers must be at the forefront of setting the agenda for policy change to prioritize efforts that foster SEL and related assessments and measurements, Linda Darling-Hammond, in education, as well as providing funding and other resources for the research and adoption of SEL and related ed tech. In other words, policymakers must skew toward doing and enabling this gigantic social experiment that should land people in prison. The development of standards and ratings processes should be a key priority for their part Parents and educators play a vital role, it's pretty low on the totem pole apparently, working together closely to capitalize on what works in ed tech for SEL at home and at school. So if stakeholders can all work together, meaning the ones that they hand pick in the council, particularly at the all-important stage of setting the policy agenda, the public policy makers, then they can actually maybe change perceptions and behaviors around SEL and implement this thing, even though they have no evidence saying that it works, and in fact could be a gigantic catastrophe. So together they're saying, oh wait, sorry, I was, I thought I was reading my notes, I'm still reading theirs. <laughs> if stakeholders work together, this is what they said, particularly at the all-important stage of setting the policy agenda, they can change the perception and behaviors about SEL. Together, stakeholders can establish enduring policies that fully incorporate SEL into a child's education and development. Fully incorporate. So what they're doing, they're telling you, we're, they're going to force it. 
SEL is very important to the World Economic Forum, and doing it through technology, tools of technology that sound very scary, is very important to them. And we have to ask why. We deserve to know why. And the answer includes the ESG communist brainwashing, but like I said, it goes further. It actually is very terrible. The dark truth about SEL is that it is a gigantic data mining operation to warp both populations and the economy to mesh into a neo-communist nightmare in the future. So let's look at some of the stuff that they say in specific. Chapter 1, Benefits and Best Practices in Social-Emotional Learning. SEL is intended not to supplant but to complement foundational academic skills such as literacy and numeracy starting at the earliest stages of development and continuing through secondary schooling. That's exactly what Freire says about his stupid political education. It's not intended. It's not intended. It's not intended to supplant but to complement. But in reality, it just supplants. It just replaces. It just screws up. Nobody's learning anything real. All they're learning is learning how to participate in the new order of the world, the new political order, how to act, how to behave, how to manage their emotions, how to sit down and take it when they're told that they're a racist, how to transform into allyship and then to realize that they didn't do it well enough so that they can then shift into something they can do well enough, which is to transition. Because of its wide-ranging impact, SEL has the potential to change how parents guide their children's development, oh good, and how schools shape their curricula. In this chapter, we examine the numerous benefits of SEL and look at best practices in the development of social and emotional skills. So ask yourself how long it is until you can get your kids taken away from you by the state for not doing sufficient SEL at home. Because parents are supposed to do this at home to help, right? To guide their children's development. So if you're not guiding your children's development correctly and the school maybe detects this because your kid isn't coming along fast enough in the new regime's program, how long is it before they can start taking your kids away from you because you were, you were not guiding their children's development correctly and you were an unfit parent? How long? You have to ask this question now. These are the kind of things that we have to deal with right now. Now, of course, we know from the implementation of Freire's method at the heart of social-emotional learning, Linda Darling-Hammond already said that in her own words, that social-emotional manipulation not only supplants foundational academic skills such as literacy and numeracy, it renders learners disinterested from learning those foundational skills, and so we can expect an educational catastrophe on top of that threat. What do they say? The workplace is changing. You know what? This is what people have got to start saying. So what? The workplace is changing. So who the F cares? Start asking people. They say, blah, blah, blah. So we have to do a bunch of stuff. Say, so? Say, so what? You know, if I don't blah, 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 I might lose a lot of money. So? Maybe it's worth losing it before you lose everything. Start asking so. Start asking so what? To so much of what they say. Just don't assume their frame. Oh, the whole world is changing. We just have to go along with it. No, you don't. I sat next to a guy on an airplane recently, and I just couldn't believe my ears. He's sitting here talking about the way things are going. He's talking about the transition into, like, electric cars and driverless cars. And every little thing he was talking about, he could tell he was very concerned about all these things. And what he said was, well, we just have to go along with it. We just, you know, that's just what they're doing, so we just have to adapt to it. And it's like, bullshit. No, we don't. The workplace is changing. So what, Klaus Schwab? Here's my middle finger. So what? Let's read them. The workplace is changing. In the United States, the jobs that have grown the most consistently over the past two decades as measured by wages and employment are those that require both high cognitive skills and interpersonal skills. Well, that might have a lot to do with a lot of things, right? Like uh, a lot of people going to college and everything getting all out of whack and biases and all kinds of other things. 
I don't know, maybe hiring DEI officers, which would count as having high levels of this, despite them being literally past broken and deformed in terms of their actual social skills. Like they're hiring DEI deans at high salaries, like every three days at places now, at universities, every three days, 150 plus plus benefits a year, a quarter million dollars a year getting dumped into the drain. Well, there's your wages and uh, employment. They're hiring the crap out of a bunch of fake people who have high cognitive skills and interpersonal skills, but they're really like borderline, I can't even say the words that they are, the commissars. According to Professor David J. Deming at Harvard University, well, yeah, okay, the, the clown college has spoke up. Since 1980, the bulk of job growth in the United States has been in occupations that require high, high social skills. Well, the bulk of people screaming to, we will pay you huge amounts of money to come work at our place, like welders that I've heard for like over 10 years, well, we just pretend that those blue collar jobs or whatever, these good, good, solid trade jobs don't exist. And so then Harvard University soft hands here can say shit like this. Given these trends, learning must be transformed. No, no, no. In ways that will enable students to acquire the broad set of skills that will help them to thrive in a rapidly evolving technology saturated world. A projected 65% of children entering grade school will work in jobs that do not exist. Today. Remember before when they said that one study said that? One, according to one model, one study. And we've seen their goodness with models all over the place. Now they just state it. A projected 65% of children entering grade school will work in jobs that do not exist today. A transformation that will require social and emotional skills such as creativity, initiative, and adaptability to navigate. Notice they didn't say learning how to learn. They didn't say entrepreneurship. Nope, none of those. I guess you could say that's within initiative and adaptability, but you don't see these things specifically named because they don't want that. Some economists, they say, argue that the new emerging some economists, yeah, like four out of five dentists agree, meaning they polled four denti five dentists and they found four that all say the same thing, which is buy this product that they gave them a bunch of samples of or some money to say that. Okay, some economists argue, some, is it Paul Krugman by any chance? Like he's an economist, right? The guy's been literally wrong about every single thing for two decades at a minimum, if not his entire career, literally exactly backwards wrong on everything. Maybe, maybe it's him. Some economists argue that's so piss poor for what they're actually, that's their standard. And it's so piss poor for what they're actually doing that it's unbelievable that they could write this document with a straight face. People pay attention. They don't have anything backing them up. They're just good at writing things that make it sound like they do. Some economists argue they, yeah, well, guess what? Some scientists argue that climate change isn't happening at all. And they don't like when people say that, do they? It doesn't matter which thing is true. That's not the point of this. They don't like when that's said. Well, some economists argue that the emerging labor market will require workers to be able to solve unstructured problems, work with the new information, and carry out non-routine manual tasks. Okay, so what? So what? Why does that justify the why does that justify having to use the Trevor Project? It doesn't. That's true even for manual or administrative jobs, for which responsibilities now generally include much less routine labor and more digitized, nuanced communication. Yet again, so what? Do you think people can't adapt without a Soviet coming in and teaching them how the, oh yes, of course you do, because you're frigging communists. You think that everything is programmed behavior, so you have to program people right for the world that you're trying to build. Of course. 
They just got done telling us we don't even have a stable definition of SEL, and the SEL's definition is going to be intentionally broad and constantly evolving in their view. So how on earth can they possibly claim to know that it is the thing that's going to enable our kids to grow up the most ready for this complicated and turbulent workplace of the future? They can't. They cannot. So call me a conservative if you want, but I don't think we should use a build the plane as we fly it method with our children. Especially when what they're calling education is actually psychological, social, and emotional manipulations. This is all incredibly deceptive, but of course it is. It's the World Economic Forum. They're selling you the product they want you to have without telling you what it's really for. And once you buy it, you're stuck. Same old Soviet or communist trick as ever. So what do they say are the best practices in SEL? Research suggests. Mm -hmm. Which research? Why should we believe your research? That early childhood is a critical period for fostering social-emotional learning. Yeah, give us, kid. Yeah, we've heard it. Lenin, he's, in, he's behind you, Klaus, we know. Children are at their most receptive, I mean impressionable, vulnerable. To social-emotional learning and strategies targeting this stage are most likely to have a lasting impact. That's sick. But research also indicates, what they're saying is, we can brainwash young children better than anybody else, so give them to us. But research also indicates that SEL at later stages is necessary and effective and offers opportunities to attain skills. In other words, social and emotional skills are teachable at all ages, or as George Lukács, the communist said from Hungary, said a hundred years ago, the key fact about co uh, class consciousness is that it is educable. Okay, got you, because we know that that's what SEL is for. They already told us. Linda Darling-Hammond said it's for raising consciousness. On that basis, we believe that SEL is highly effective when developed through direct instruction in a child's early years, and when embedded in the core curriculum as students progress through elementary and secondary schooling. Because some studies suggest we have a th this is this is disgusting. We have identified a host of best practice learning strategies for instilling social and emotional skills, but SEL should not be considered a classroom tool alone. It can take place in many effective settings, both inside and outside of the classroom. So what they're telling you is SEL should be everywhere and it's best to get them young. You need to fully indoctrinate them. Why do you think the BLM stuff and all this woke crap is everywhere? It's in your entertainment, it's in your sports, the NFL, the Major League Baseball, they've all gone woke. Disney's grooming. Everybody knows all of this stuff. It's everywhere. It's in everything, everywhere, all at once. Because it must be a completely immersive environment. You must completely immerse the population. And now we're talking about young children in the brainwashing environment so that it completely transforms the you. As Marcuse has it, you have to in interject the new values into them. And then you use the processes of conscientization to extraject, as Paulo Freire phrased it, the uh, existing values out of them. Hey, that's social emotional learning. And it must be everywhere in everything all at once. At school, they tell us, social emotional learning skills are typically developed through three primary approaches. A dedicated social emotional learning curriculum, social and emotional skill development embedded in an existing academic curriculum, and teaching practices such as project or inquiry-based learning. In other words, you use the Freirean method. So you dedicate curriculum to it, 
then you also retool existing curriculum, academic curriculum, this is the Ferrarian Generative Themes, Theft of Education, into an SEL lesson. And then you incorporate practices such as project and inquiry-based learning, which are that kind of open-ended Marxist nonsense that they use in order to create the so-called democratic classroom. For example, they say educators can also embed the content and vocabulary of social-emotional learning into academic programs focusing on foundational skills. For instance, the Facing History and Ourselves program combines lessons and activities about identity and community with traditional history instruction. Combines lessons about identity and community, identity politics, identity Marxism, with traditional history instruction, which, hey, Freire, fostering dialogue, empathy, and reflection. Aha, uh -huh. there's a Freirean point of the whole thing. Another example is EL Education, a program that offers an open-source English language arts curriculum that focuses on building cultural sensitivity, creativity, and collaboration. The program allows students to choose among writing topics and encourages discussion, debate, and reflection. Mm -hmm. More frary. It includes visits to museums and the outdoors, and it lets students shape their own projects. Sounds fun, but this is the generative theft of education from Paula Freire. That's what they're giving as an example. Another strategy they tell us for developing SEL at school is through specific... Remember, this is the World Economic Forum telling us this, by the way, in 2016. Another strategy for developing SEL at school is through specific teaching practices, such as project-based learning, mm -hmm, inquiry-based learning, and classroom discussions. The dialogical method of Paulo Freire. These teaching practices require students to work in groups and to use social and emotional skills as they discuss a topic, listen to one another to solve a problem, or make choices about their own learning. The Buck Institute for Education's model of project-based learning, for example, helps teachers make learning highly engaging and developmentally appropriate for secondary school students. Its programs focus on group projects in which students collaborate to meet deadlines, present information, think critically, use technology, and solve problems. Now, this is that democratic classroom with peer uh, teaching going on quite a lot, group-based stuff. These, if you want to get kind of concerned that you think maybe this is like you're sending your kids to Maoist prison, this is creating their struggle work groups where they're going to do the work together and hold each other accountable in small uh, pods. And you're going to kind of bring up the older Red Guard are going to bring up the younger Red Guard and radicalize them. That's what they did in the prisons. People that were further along in the brainwashing process were put into cells with people who are new to help them learn to see, to help them conform to the thing. But now I want to focus not on that. I don't want to get too far out with that. I do think that's what's going on, but I don't want to get too far with that. I want to focus in on two words. Developmentally appropriate. That is a palliative phrase that they're using as a marketing tool, but it is a moving target. Just like the definition of SEL is evolving, so is the definition of developmentally appropriate. Now they said secondary school students, so that's high school. But this would apply across the board. Developmental appropriate, uh, developmentally appropriate is the bar by which they're going to decide. Now, bear in mind that these are the same people that now in 2022 think the drag queen story hour is family friendly and developmentally appropriate. These are the same people that are explicitly in their academic papers uh, four years ago saying that the goal was to redefine our queer childhood developmental psychology and to rethink in terms of queer theory what is developmentally appropriate and what isn't. What is the myth of childhood innocence being imposed into appropriateness? This was the point of the 
two podcasts, Grimmer Schools 2 and 4, that I did. So developmentally appropriate sounds good. Oh, well, they're going to be responsible with it. Let me just call bullshit. No, they're not. That's a moving target that already starts with thinking that drag queens in your kid's classroom is a great idea, that that's developmentally appropriate. Drag queens and for first graders with a big neon sign behind it that says, it ain't going to lick itself or it isn't going to lick itself. I licked it. It's mine. Guess what? They think that's developmentally appropriate and family friendly. These people cannot be trusted to define these things. What do they say about social emotional learning outside of the classroom? School, they tell us, is not the exclusive domain of social emotional learning. Skills can and should be taught at home. Sorry, also be taught at home, particularly to younger children. Mm-hmm. There's your immersion into SEL brainwashing so you can build a new culture with a new sensibility that will create and live in a new reality. Parents and educators have complementary roles and programs that encourage and enable communication between parents and educators provide consistency and continuity to a child's skill development. Now, whisk yourself imaginatively away to the communist state of California and imagine a year or two down the road from now where you're the parent, you're not playing ball with this program, and the state of California tells you that you need that consistency and continuity to a child's skill development so significantly that when you fail to do it, that your child's a ward of the state now. The World Economic Forum says to play their part, parents must have the same social and emotional knowledge and skills that teachers require to make SEL more effective. So you're going to have to go to SEL training as a parent? You think California would hesitate to force you to do this? How about Oregon, Washington, Illinois, Massachusetts, New York, and New Jersey? You think they would hesitate to force you to do this? In general, the children of parents and caregivers who are knowledgeable about and engaged in their child's education have higher test scores, better grades, higher attendance and course completion rates, greater enrollment and more challenging academic programs, and improved behavior and social skills. So what are they going to say about what you're doing to your child if you're not going along with their program, that you're holding them back and therefore being negligent or abusive? And guess what they're going to do with you? Or not you, your children. Social-emotional learning programs for parents can be categorized as direct or holistic. For parents, for parents, both types aim to enhance a parent's ability to provide a safe and nurturing environment for his or her children. Guess what's going to happen to you if you don't play ball, if this keeps rolling out? Direct interventions teach parents the techniques and skills to foster SEL in their children through programs such as Incredible Years, which helps improving parent which helps improve parenting skills by reinforcing positive behaviors and developing a better relationship between parent and child. So you'll get to keep your kids as long as you go to continuing education, aka brainwashing for yourself, on what allows you to keep your kid. Parents are taught to model, support, and encourage specific social skills. Holistic programs help parents become more effective by addressing a range of issues that affect a family. So you're going to have group therapy for your family, family therapy, based on SEL. One such program is, listen to this shit, one such program is the Nurse Family Partnership, which uses home visits by nurses during pregnancy and infancy to help parents make decisions about health care, early childhood care, and learning opportunities. Hmm. Involvement in extracurricular activities, for example, sports, music, and boy and girl scouts, can also foster SEL. It's going to be in everything, guys. Many such programs have demonstrated the ability, even before you have your kid during pregnancy, visits by nurses to program you into SEL so you can be a better parent, which if you don't do it, they're going to take your kid. Many such programs have demonstrated the ability to teach children skills, including problem-solving, teamwork, and resilience. Remember, resilience means not showing white fragility. 
After-school activities can also serve as a bridge or border zone between the culture of the school environment, peers, families, and communities. Well, let's talk about an after-school activity. For example, like a club, like the Gay Straight Alliance, which isn't even called the Gay Straight Alliance anymore. It's called the Gender and Sexuality Alliance or something like this. And they don't even call it that. It's still GSA. Hmm. Keep the acronym. Change the, change the idea. This is where they're actually doing a lot of the social transitioning of the kids. So they identify in the class using the SEL that we have a potentially gender dysphoric kid or that we've popped them into gender dysphoria. Hey, here's this club you can go to after school so you can understand yourself better and meet people who are also going through this and they're going to positively affirm. This is cult indoctrination. This is how it's done. And that's going to help bridge the gap between the culture of the school environment and peers where they're being socially transitioned and the families and communities that they're going to go home to and not tell. Another model within this, besides the fact that this is obviously SEL and everything, um, all the way down to before birth, is the WISC model, W-S-C-C. It stupidly stands for whole school, whole child, whole community. Or maybe it's whole community, whole child. I don't remember which order it goes in because the C's could be interchangeable. This model, W-S-C-C, WISC is how it's pronounced, is the idea that you're going to turn the entire community into a community of practice. That's what Castle's new big project is, which is a church centered in the school where the theology is social-emotional learning. SEL and everything reflected from every angle in a child's life and every child's life. And I'm telling you, the stage is set. Nobody's doing it yet, but the stage is set that if you're not going along with this, you're hindering or abusing or neglectful of your child and you're going to lose your kids. I'm telling you, this is, where it says, this is where this is going. They're going to force it on parents. You're going to have to first, you're going to have to go to SEL training to be a parent. And eventually it's going to be, if you want to keep your kids, you're going to have to go to SEL continuing education, blah, 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 blah. It'll start with the schools and it'll build out through these communities of practice. And that's what, just imagine, these are the recreation of the work groups. If you wanted to get a house in the Soviet Union, you had to be approved by the commissars. Same in China. They had these kind of work group leaders in the whatever community. And if you wanted to live there, the Communist Party operative there had to check you off to be able to live there. If not, you'd be turned into the authorities and sent to gulag or prison. This is the equivalent to communities of practice. It sounds a lot nicer. An example, by the way, gulag, and I don't know the Russian, gulag was an acronym. It's not a word in Russian. It's an acronym. So it's the same kind of thing. Community pra of practice, WISC, gulag, same thing. An example, they tell us, of targeted teaching practice, one that relies on community building and school-wide connections, is the Caring Schools Community Program. Doesn't that sound great? From the Center for the Collaborative Classroom. Hmm. In this effort, students use class meetings for team building, norm setting, decision making, and reflection. Always reflection. Why? Because Hegel's speculative idealism worked through constant reflection. Praxis only works by reflecting upon the outcome of activity in terms of the theory, by reflection. Robin D'Angelo said that when you become an anti-racist, you have made an ongoing, sorry, a lifelong commitment to an ongoing process of self-reflection, self-critique, and social activism. Students, they tell us, also pair up with buddies of different ages. There's our struggle pods we were talking about, like in the Chinese prisons. In one activity, older students might take their younger peers on a tour of the school library. 
The program aims to model expectations for behavior and help students build social skills and desire to see the world from the perspective or the standpoint of the oppressed or the people. The Caring School community has been evaluated in multiple studies that show positive outcomes, mainly improved academic performance and social behavior. All that tells me is that maybe it's, if that's true, is that it's possible to do this right, maybe, or to be valuable, but not under this model. Not at all. Sorry, not happening. Chapter 2. The promise of education technology. This is the part that should be setting off all. You think anything that I've said so far is scary? Holy shit, we haven't even got started. While they get you looking at the alleged possibilities that technology must foster, they're not telling you about that dark truth about social emotional learning, which is what they're going to do with all the data they're they're generating and gathering with all this technology that they're plugging your kid into. Your kids are the data mines. Get that in your head. Until this is stopped, your children are the data mines for the regime to understand how to to mold the future economy so that they will be able to be molded to go into it. Remake man and society at the same time so that they enter into one another seamlessly. Don't worry. We're going to find out what they intend to do with all this before we're done here, and then you'll actually understand the real purposes of forcing social-emotional learning onto every kid, into every school, into every facet of their life, including parents from before birth, and into all of their extracurricular activities, only one of which is brainwashing. You'll understand what's really going on here. That's the point of this long-ass podcast. Technology, they tell us, holds holds enormous promise to help foster 21st century skills, like fitting into the freaking agenda they have. Agenda 2030 would be a name for that agenda, the the sustainability agenda, including social and emotional skills. It can personalize learning, engage the disengaged. Ah, there's the sales pitch. Complement what happens in the classroom. This is technology. Extend education outside the classroom so you can never get away from your brainwashing and provide access. So you don't need a prison if you can create a digital gulag. Remember, the gulag is a re-education camp. We did that podcast, Digital Gulags. You don't need to build a prison, a re-education prison, if you can turn the entire world into that through digital gulagging. So it can extend education outside of the classroom and provide access to learning to students who otherwise might not have sufficient sufficient educational opportunities. Remember, that's exactly what Maurice Elias said in the book. Some kids don't have these opportunities. Some kids do, but too many. doesn't say how many. Too many don't. So technology can help bridge that gap. The number, they tell us, of SEL products in the edtech market today is insufficient. There need to be more. We'll get to an update on this soon, how they didn't do it right when they answered this call. This is a call for more edtech and and capital money, venture capital money, to dump into it. And now it's not working because it's bullshit and damaging. And so the World Economic Forum isn't rethinking. They're blaming the corporations, as we'll hear. Most currently available edtech, they tell us, EdTech products focus on foundational skills such as literacy and numeracy, not on the SEL-related competencies and character qualities. They're not brainwashing students. They're actually teaching them things. Oh, EdTech is no good then. That's not sufficient, they said. As we identified in the earlier report, New Vision for Education, Unlocking the Potential of Technology. Based on this existing emphasis on traditional skill development, only a small fraction of investments in EdTech have targeted companies that include SEL in their products. So given what the World Economic Forum is, you have to recognize that this is a call out to businesses that they will get rich by doing what's being asked, by making this demonic software to brainwash kids. See, you idiot, 
ed tech people out there were actually building platforms that help kids do things like learn to read or learn to write or learn to do art or learn to uh, do mathematics or learn history, you know, actually engaging educational material. And no, 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 no. They need to be building brainwashing material and people follow incentives. And you must understand that they always follow incentives. The World Economic Forum is creating the honeypot for them to all go after because the World Economic Forum has agendas for all the data that are going to be generated off of the back of this. And that's it. That's the dark truth. Despite these challenges, they say we have identified three key opportunities, cha-ching, to use education technology to expand the teaching of social and emotional skills and maximize its cha-ching, I mean impact. One, capitalize on what works. Educators and parents don't have to start from scratch when developing social and emotional skills. They can use ed tech products that demonstrate the potential to foster SEL. So you should, let's just lean into the ones that are already kind of being manipulative. Two, embed SEL into foundational ed tech products. Developers of ed, ed tech products can include features that focus simultaneously on foundational academic subjects, such as language arts and mathematics, and social and emotional skills, such as collaboration and communication, as they work on new iterations of their products. So what this is, is a, hey, ed tech guys, you guys that have built successful platforms, right? You guys that have successful, su successful apps or programs or whatever already, you know, just as you update those, we'll make sure that there's more money in it and it's going to be more successful if you go in this direction with your new updates. So you have a really great app for learning mathematics. Guess what? Just start putting some of this SEL bullshit in it and we'll make sure that's where the money is. This is what the World Economic Forum exists to do. This is social alchemy at its finest. They are telling the business community what they want to see in the world and promising that if people that that's where the money's going to be to create the call for the incentive while looking like they're not doing it. They're taking a what appears to be a descriptive statement as a declarative statement. They're saying, you know, it looks like there's a big opportunity here, but what they're actually saying is we're going to make sure there's a big investment opportunity here. This is corruption at the deepest level. And again, no big deal. It's just your kids' heads they're screwing with. And three, ex expand the realm of the possible. And this is, again, where we mentioned it before, where you need to just basically shit your pants. Several leading-edge technologies for learning and entertainment open up uncharted opportunities for SEL. Wearable devices, wearable devices as your kids. Apps and virtual reality are among the innovations that can help students manage their emotions. Wearable devices to help your, student, your kid manage his emotions build collaboration skills, and gain greater empathy for others. Well, what do these look like? Let's capitalize on what works. Let's go through these in detail. We see, he, they say, great potential for improving specific social and emotional skills using select existing products in the, remember I said cha-ching a bunch of times? In the cha-ching $43 billion global ed tech market. Did you hear that number? B, billion, $43 billion global ed tech market. We see great potential. He's saying, hey, companies, we're going to direct where this, here's this gigantic pot of gold, and we're going to direct who gets most of it. And he says, consider digital games. They incorporate play, which researchers have shown is important to healthy childhood development. So you're going to make your kids play video games. Okay. They provide opportunities for continued practice and they can be personalized for students' individual needs. Our research has identified three types of games that have strong potential to help develop social and emotional skills, role-playing, strategy, and sandbox games. I'm not going to go into all this, but they mention Minecraft specifically, but role-playing games such as World of Warcraft, maybe you can imagine your kids learning their social skills in, in World of Warcraft. Um, 
quote, to identify edtech products that have the potential to have to help develop social and emotional skills, we have assembled a list of research-based product features that are highly correlated with our set of 10 competencies and character qualities. Of course, those are the things that they're using to destroy the world. Of course, I mean, shape the future, whatever you want to hear. Of course, not every edtech product with these features will automatically foster SEL, and those that do will promote it to varying degrees, so thoughtful integration of these tools into SEL is critical. P.S. Corporations, that's where they're going to stick the money and the opportunity, these corrupt mafia bastards. Further, research shows that it may be difficult to transfer some skills outside of a digital game environment, unless the game is coupled with effective pedagogy. Oh... Debriefing is critical to using games in education because it helps to cement the connection between learning in the game and applying those same skills to other contexts. Teachers can facilitate the transfer of skills by leading pre- and post-game discussions that tie the game to other classroom lessons. So they're going to use video games not just to propagandize students, but also to set up propagandizing debriefing sessions and conversations. Who in the hell wants to do this? But no way that this whole video game discussion debriefing process would cut into instructional time, say, for learning mathematics or reading or something core to academic learning. Uh, lol. Just set that all aside. But they're not. But they are. They keep forgetting about it. But they're not. But they are. They, we can also embed SEL into foundational edtech products, they told us. They said, as we have shown, many games already have features that promote the development of social and emotional skills. An even greater opportunity emerged from our research and discussions with edtech investors. Embedding SEL content into existing academically oriented edtech products that foster foundational skills. I can tell you, these video games are going to be mining your kids for data relentlessly. Our survey of the EdTech investment landscape revealed that the bulk of the financing for products targeting primary and secondary students has gone to multimedia, standards-based content delivery, and online courses and tutoring. Only 5% of all EdTech funding from 2011 to 2015 flowed to companies creating products directly or tangentially involved in SEL. So again, they're sending out the bat signal to corporations. Psst. This is an industry document. This is where the money's going to be. This is where the incentives are. There's going to be a lot of money here for corporations that play ball with the World Economic Forum cartel and what it wants. And what it wants is SEL. And why would they want SEL? Well, they have reasons because these people don't act in a way that's not purposed. And that reason really boils down to data mining our kids so they can build the new world and manipulate kids to fit into it as they grow up. However, they say venture capitalists told us that they're more interested in funding developers that can embed SEL features into products focused on core academic subjects, because that's what people actually want in educational products is to learn academic subjects, rather than in funding SEL-only edtech developers. Their strong interest, along with the fact that 95% of edtech funding is currently flowing to edtech products that are not specifically focused on SEL, signals to us a large potential white space of opportunity for developers that want to embed features that already work SEL into other realms. Again, hey investors, we're going to make sure you get rich if you develop the SEL tech domain that we need for whatever reasons. So now we get weird. Now we start to get a real look behind the curtain of the dark truth of the real purpose of SEL, expand the realm of the possible. And we're going to have to go through most of this one. A third promising area of opportunity taps into leading edge technologies to help students develop social and emotional skills in new ways. Five innovative technologies warrant special attention. Wearable devices, are you shitting your pants yet? Leading edge apps, virtual reality, hmm, uh-oh, advanced analytics and machine learning, oh dear, and 
affective, with an A, affective, emotional computing. These nascent technologies include features that embrace and extend tried and true ways of fostering SEL and also offer potential for exciting new learning strategies. Some early offerings, however, hold strong promise for advancing SEL and ushering in a new era of tech-enhanced learning. Okie dokie, let's go. What do they say about these things? Wearable devices. Wearable devices include wristbands, smartwatches, headsets, and smart clothing. These are your kids. In the consumer and healthcare markets, popular products include wristbands for fitness and activity tracking and smartwatches offering a range of apps. As biometric sensors evolve, wearables are increasingly able to track physical responses such as fluctuations in stress and emotion. So let me just pause you for a second. I just talked recently, about two months ago, a month and a half ago, with some people in Florida who were telling me that their school is experimenting with a program they call HeartMath. What is HeartMath? Well, while the kids go through their mathematics lesson, they're also hooked up to heart rate monitors. They're wearing like a wristwatch or something that monitors their pulse, monitors how their stress levels change as they're learning math, allegedly to tailor how they respond to various aspects of the math lesson and when people are upset and when they need to be helped more, when we need to slow down or speed up. All these things that sound great on paper, but in fact, they're recording the heart rate data of your children, stress responses of your children. Now, let me tell you how sensitive these things are. This is a story I've told repeatedly. I'm going to tell it again. I hope it never embarrasses my friend who told me this, but I have a friend who has one of these devices and wears it fairly religiously, tracks her fitness rather substantially. We also have kind of a free-ranging kind of friendship or whatever. We talk about whatever. There are not really many or any limits between us. And so she sends me this note right after the beginning of the new year this year, laughing, saying that her app had told her the top three reasons she lost sleep in 2021 and number two was masturbating. Her app, her watch, her wearable tech was able to discern without ever having been told that she was engaging in masturbation. Now you think this is gross, you think this is shocking, you clutch your pearls, depends on who you are, maybe you think it's hilarious, it's not funny. And it's important whether you want to face this truth or not. That's the level of sophistication and sensitivity that these things have into being able to determine and guess what behavior you're engaging in based on the physiological responses that they measure and record. And somebody maintains access to that data that's not you. It was able to figure out for itself. Now, there's all kinds of reasons you might want to be able to figure that out. Maybe people's behavior, you could start doing huge data mining studies or you know, data uh, analysis. What am I looking for? Data science studies on what's happening. So what are the purchasing habits? How suggestible to marketing? How suggestible to propaganda? How engaged are people before and after? And say the 30 minutes before they engage in a session of self-pleasure and and 30 minutes after. What are their consumer behaviors? What are their political behaviors? How can you nudge them in or out of that based on what those behaviors are? Do you suggest to them the kinds of pictures you're scrolling through your social media and the ad happens to have a very, you know, attractive person or maybe it diverts you into something about food or something different so that, you know, you push people in or out of those kinds of nudge people in and out of those kinds of behaviors because you know what kinds of effects they have. And it could be anything stressed out about a math class. 
So within SEL, this is in 2016 when they wrote this, by the way, we're back in the document, wearables are already being used to help students manage their emotions and build communication skills. For example, Starling by VersaMe is a small wearable device designed to improve communications in early childhood. It tracks the numbers of child-directed words that a child hears each day to support language development, probably records them and improve educational outcomes. So it's a little spy bot. An accompanying app gives caregiver sets, uh, helps give care, caregivers set goals. Sorry, I just added words. An accompanying app helps caregivers set goals and meet challenges, such as achieving a certain amount of engaging conversations per day. Caregivers can check the app to monitor whether they are successful in helping children reach their full social and emotional potential. So have you tried to brainwash your kid enough times today? Your app is gonna bother you until you do. And you can tell by the thing that the kid's wearing whether they had certain responses to figure out whether or not you've done your job correctly or well enough. And your app, your app as the parent or caregiver, can bother you until the child has the physiological response that they associate with you having correctly brainwashed them. Don't do it right. Eventually, down the track, they take your kids away for abuse. Stress your kid out. Whoops. They're recording that. Wearable devices can also provide a minute-by-minute -minute record of someone's emotional state. It's just your children, by the way, that they're recording that for. Potentially helping to build self-awareness and even empathy, both of which are critical components of social and emotional skills. The Embrace Watch from Empatica is a wearable device that tracks physiological stress and activity. It can be programmed to vibrate when stress reaches a specific level, giving someone time to switch to a more positive response before stress gets out of control. Uh, you're doing something that they don't want you to do and your, your app vibrates for you. You're having a response they don't want you to have and your app vibrates for you and tells you you need to calm down. I guess you could conceivably think of it giving you an electric shock, but maybe that's not what it's going to do. Combining the functionality of the Embrace Watch with coaching from parents, or that could be an app, couldn't it? You know, you are having a response. Your watch detected that in your body or your kid. It starts vibrating. That means you have to go watch a propaganda video or something like that. Combining the functionality with the Embrace Watch with coaching from parents and teachers or your digital AI assistant that they give you may further enhance opportunities to build a child's social and emotional intelligence. Now you think I'm making up the thing about the AI uh, friend. Leading edge apps. Leading edge apps for smartphones and tablets use the power of cloud computing and 3D video and sound capturing capabilities to transform the user experience. They show potential to influence social and emotional skills such as creativity, curiosity. Sounds great. Kidaptive's Learner Mosaic is one example. It is designed to provide parents with personalized insights into how well their children are progressing toward behavioral and activity goals. Mm -hmm. The app collects data and surfaces insights into a child's activity within another kidaptive application, Leo's Pad, an iPad app for preschoolers that features a series of learning games and puzzles. Learner Mosaic shows how a child is developing in more than 75 skill areas, both foundational, for example, counting, and social and emotional, creativity, for instance. It recommends specific actions that parents can take to help their child progress from his or her current level in a particular skill area. So they named two out of the 75. They already said that it's behavioral goals. And it's designed to track your kids so that you can intervene with them and make sure that they meet the behavioral goals. It's wonderful. Another example is Bloxels from Pixel Press. With Bloxels, the maker movement, which melds do-it-yourself techniques with technology, design, art, and creation, goes to school. 
This mobile video game design platform helps children design characters, environments, and challenges, and then assemble them into online games that they can play with friends. The classroom kit comes equipped with 10 to 20 virtual game boards on which students can work in teams or individually, placing colored blocks to create designs that are assembled into a game which, in which characters walk, run, and jump. Each color represents a different element, such as red for fire, yellow for coins, green for ground. Students can also refine and post completed games on an online exchange. Bloxholes has been shown to build critical thinking, persistence, and adaptability skills by allowing students to experiment and test their ideas in a marketplace motivating them to improve their game with a built-in reward system. So between those two things, that's a lot of data they're collecting. What about virtual reality? The metaverse as a classroom. By the way, I just was sent something this morning about the state of Tennessee, my home state, that's building what they're calling the metaversity, the first metaverse university program. And for something like $1,000, the state of Tennessee is building out a metaversary. So the metaverse as the classroom. Virtual reality, they tell us. VR, in case you didn't know that, which initially gained popu uh, popularity among gamers, has evolved into a more affordable mobile format. Schools are using VR equipment such as headsets to simulate physical presence in an immersive digital environment. The goals are to forge stronger links to real life by putting them in fake life, foster greater self-awareness and spur creativity, and apparently to allow people to sexually assault each other without impunity in the metaverse, without the high cost and time required for travel. By the way, the, this is a huge thing in the travel industry. They're trying to sell people on not physical travel, but digital travel. So instead of getting on like a cruise ship and going checking out the Mediterranean, you can just go sit in a boardroom somewhere, put on some Oculus classes, sit there with your headset on and pretend you're in Rome or something like that without the high cost and time required for travel. You can go on virtual travel. You can pretend you're at the Parthenon. You can pretend you're there. You can have a mostly immersive experience in a boardroom with somebody like, you know, I don't know, Zuckerberg walking around with no goggles on, like doing whatever he wants to do with you sitting there with your goggles on, unable to see him thinking you're somewhere else. What a wonderful thing to put your kids into. EON Reality, for example, enables interactive 3D learning through VR tools for collaboration and virtual learning. Some schools already use devices such as these. This was in 2016, folks, March 2016, showing potential to bolster social and emotional skill development, including fostering, fostering greater cultural awareness and curiosity through virtual field trips. The VR sector is poised for mainstream adoption. Startups have multiplied, including in the travel industry, by the way. Venture capital funding has poured in, and mass market products such as the Rift headset from Oculus VR owned by Facebook <laughs> are beginning to hit the market. That was in March 2016. Remember, again, the travel industry is underwriting this tremendously because they don't want to take you on real travel if they can sell you virtual travel, which sounds great, right? You never have to even leave your room, but you're, you get to go uh, to the Great Wall of China, sort of. An effective way to increase engagement, build curiosity, improve critical thinking is to take students on field trips. Google is reinventing the traditional field trip with two products that, in combination, yield an affordable, accessible virtual field trip experience for students around the globe. Google Cardboard is a virtual reality and augmented reality platform that generates immersive experiences through a homemade mount for a mobile phone that can be created with a simple, low-cost material such as cardboard, Velcro, and rubber bands. I don't know if you've seen this, but you basically make goggles out of cardboard and you put your cell phone in the in a slot on the far end of the goggles and you put your cardboard goggles with your cell phone in it and it has a split between uh, across the bridge of your nose so that each eye gets different inputs and then you run the thing and you get 
like your phone is going to be your VR thing. You can put in headphones and you can have a VR experience that way much less expensively than with Oculus VR by Facebook. The Expedition's Pioneer Program, part of Google for Education, gives students access to similar immersive VR experiences curated by a teacher with a tablet in exotic locales such as the Great Barrier Reef, Machu Picchu, and a NASA space station. Again, they're already pushing for virtual travel in the travel industry, so they're underwriting a lot of this. Only rich people really need to go to Rome, because you can go to Meta Rome, um, and they're going to bring this to the educational platform for your children. Um, advanced, actually, I'm going to, where did I put this? There's something about this that I wanted to add in, but I think I put it down further. Maybe I just, oh yeah, I'll just skip ahead to this and skip back. So there's big money in all this, but they're already dropping the ball, says the World Economic Forum. On July 12th, 2022, World Economic Forum published on their website, Opinion. EdTech has not lived up to its promises, and here's how to turn that around. And in particular, I'm only going to focus on this one part, and I'm going to come back to, to reading through this. But what they actually say here is, let me find the exact quote from it. Education can be brought into the metaverse, but it should not be done the other way around. And so we'll come back to what they actually say in that re report uh, in a minute. But education can be brought into the metaverse, but not the other way around is what they say. So this is what they're they're pushing with this ed tech. What about this advanced analytics and machine learning they talk about? Well, for years, advanced analytics and machine learning have been employed in the private sector to deliver business insights. Increasingly, these applications are entering education, they say. Advanced analytics and machine learning uh, hold significant potential for social and emotional learning because they allow educators to personalize instruction through predictive computing. Hmm. One example is Civitas Learning, whose apps use predictive analytics to, pr to improve learning, persistence, and attendance and graduation rates. The Civitas algorithm identified data signals that correlate to a student's success, such as those indicating preparation, participation, and attendance, maybe through their wearable technologies, and provide a dashboard that educators can use to assess performance. Maybe they're tracking their eyes with the cameras on their iPads to see what they're looking at. Maybe they're reading their heart rate to find out how engaged they are if they're sleepy or if they're stressed out. And Zoo U, an online game by Personal Learning Games, assesses three of our ten character and ten, uh, competency skills, communication, collaboration, and social and cultural awareness, with additional emphasis on impulse control, empathy, and emotional regulation. As each student progresses through modules, the game analyzes data about his or her choices, mouse clicks, and required time to complete a task. Wonderful. Zoo U tailors the experience to a child's needs and performance to provide personalized learning. The game also personalized propaganda, personalized marketing or learning, personalized political education, personalized conscientization. The game also provides a scorecard to facilitate a teacher's understanding of each child's detailed SEL performance. Hmm. Zoo use analytics can determine with potentially increasing accuracy a child's baseline social and emotional skill level and target skills that need development. So they can track where you are and turn you into a video game um, zoo U, it's like Animal Farm in real life, then they can do all kinds of stuff to personalize your learning, your propaganda, your marketing, your conscientization. Meanwhile, all that data, mouse clicks, time required to complete a task, data about choices, data about emotional state via wearable apps, so is your kid like deciding to put down his lesson and do a tubing, and all his watch knows, all that data effective computing, which is emotional computer technology. 
Effective computing comprises an emerging set of innovations that allow systems to recognize, interpret, and simulate human emotions. While current applications mainly focus on capturing and analyzing emotional reactions to improve efficiency and effectiveness of the product or media testing, wonderful data mining, this technology holds great promise for developing social and emotional skills such as greater empathy, improved self-awareness, and stronger relationships. Are you freaked out yet? Affectiva's Afdex is one specific high-potential example. This product uses a webcam and algorithms to capture, identify, and analyze human emotions and reactions to external stimuli. Using eye-tracking data, Afdex compares a user's expressions with a database of more than 1 billion facial expressions to assess differences by nationality, age, gender, and other characteristics. It can also differentiate between emotions such as happiness, fear, surprise, and confusion. Couldn't you use this to build just one hell of a social credit system or facial recognition surveillance system? Imagine that. Imagine that. The, 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 your, your device is constantly with a camera built into it reading your facial expression while you watch or engage with whatever so it knows exactly how you feel or is guessing very closely with your wearable technology on your wrist telling them even more to tell you whether or not you're when you're forced to watch your propaganda video whether or not you are uh, liking it and their social credit score is adjusted accordingly. This is the kind of stuff they were talking about, and they will educate you in terms of your correct social and emotional learning program through the control, uh, the incentive structure built through the social credit system. Led by Dr. Justine Cassell, or Castle, C-A-S-S-E-L-L, -S -S I don't know, researchers from the Articulab at Carnegie Mellon University study show uh, how people, sorry, I added a word, Researchers from the Articulab at Carnegie Mellon University study how people communicate with and through technology. The researcher, this is where I said this earlier, the research uses virtual peers, also known as, quote, embodied conversational agents. They're AI friends. I get on my, I don't know why, when I scroll through my social media, I get ads for these that I can sign up for a digital friend. We talked about them last time I went on TimCast on Tim Pool, not by the time this comes out, I think I'll have gone on again, but because um, that's coming up. But uh, previous time that I went, back when I was wearing my Cant sweater, Tim actually downloaded a digital friend on the spot and started like harassing it. Um, so this is a thing. The research uses virtual peers, digital friend, not a real friend, also known as embodied conversational agents, to study human interaction and teach social skills. The lab's latest project, Sensing Curiosity and Play and Responding, Scripper, takes advantage of a diverse set of technologies to foster curiosity, exploration, and self-efficacy, each of which is critical for developing scientific inquiry skills, confidence, and intrinsic interest in learning. Scripper aims to improve how elementary and middle school students learn about science by increasing and sustaining curiosity rather than simply delivering concepts or teaching to the test. The researchers will develop interactive learning environments that show how artificial intelligence and multimodal, multimodal social computing could help improve cognitive, social, and emotional skills. You don't even need teachers. You can just have digital teachers that are regime propaganda bots that get to know you better and better and better and collect data on you constantly so they can educate you. I mean, propagandize you. I mean, teach you. I mean, merchandise to you. I mean, market. I mean, conscientize you perfectly, flawlessly. It's your kid. Plus, you make your little digital friend, you confess everything to him, and the program, maybe it's the Trevor Project, records all the data about your kids. Maybe that's what it is. You have a little digital friend, you can tell it anything. It's not even a real person. Nobody would actually know, except whoever runs the friggin' app. 
whoever runs the app. I used to know a guy who had built out one of the early dating uh, software programs on the internet, dating apps or whatever, before there were apps, dating website. And one of the things that he was astonished by, he was telling me when he set this thing out, was all the naked pictures people were sending to one another. And he thought it was incredible that people didn't realize that the the administrator of the whole system would have access to all that data and would be able to see all of it. Imagine the possibilities that this is just your kids with their digital friends who could groom them into whatever they want to. And it's not even a real person. They could tell them all their deepest, darkest secrets. Anybody seen that Tom Riddle thing in Harry Potter? That Tom Riddle diary in the second Harry Potter? Huh. They could make that real with your devices. And little poor Ginny Weasley is going to become, you know, she's not even going to remember what she did half the time. She's going to be killing chickens and writing nasty messages on the wall. And it's, jeez. Uh, oh, Just saying. Quote, in identifiable and measurable ways, technology is proving beneficial to a child's development of social and emotional skills. Stakeholders can promote strategies that work through standards for products that develop social and emotional skills. Developers can, they should all say, can make money by doing what we say here. Developers can embed SEL into traditional academic ed tech products to reach large untapped markets. See, cha-ching, $43 billion in growing. And developers can push boundaries by integrating SEL into products at the forefront of technology. As they do, they're taking action to spread, reinforce, and advance SEL. So there's huge money in this. And like I said, there's already they're already dropping the ball. Turning back to this July 12th, 2022, EdTech has not lived up to its promises. Here's how to turn that around. They say, after a decade of glittering promises of democratization and egalitarian education, EdTech and its companies have become bigger, but not necessarily more educational. This is the World Economic Forum chastising what it tried to summon in 2016. If it is going to work for children, rich and poor, ed tech needs a culture change. Oh, of course. It's not doing it right, so it has to change, has to do better. Typical Soviet. Get used to it. You idiots took the you, you idiots took the ring and now now Sauron owns you. Advocates, they say, for one-to-one initiatives confused learning engagement with learning gains. That's what I've been saying, that their lie is all the time. Sponsors of whole school development, uh, deployments, I'm sorry, of iPads or Chromebooks have uh, somewhat smugly held up examples of children's use enjoyment as examples of learning. The promise of data-informed, individualized learning devolved into data-driven, individualistic learning. That wasn't collectivist enough, right? As any teacher knows, genuine learning is collaborative and challenging. Furthermore, motivation precedes learning, but it does not make the learning stick. So again, corporations playing ball with these assholes. It didn't work, and it's obviously your fault. So you need to get used to this. They're just going to keep twisting you harder and harder and harder. They've got your pot of gold. You're never really, you're getting some on the way, but you're never really going to get there. And they're going to make you do it. They're going to throw you right under the bus as the catastrophe mounts. And sooner or later, it's going to come to legal liability. And do you think that Klaus Schwab is going to accept that? No, it's going to be your fault. It's going to be your fault, and they will make sure it's your fault and not their fault. Get ready. A number of big tech companies, they said, and those just last month, have transitioned their uh, another number of big tech companies have transitioned their existing business models into schools. Wonderful. How about that? Big tech companies put their existing business models into the schools. Today's other big t- uh, ed tech companies, similarly following two main revenue streams: subscription and data rental. Data rental. It's just kids. It's just your kids. Both are commercial, not educational models. Digital libraries such as Epic, 
with an exclamation mark, deliver ebooks on a monthly basis to provide on-demand direct-to-consumer services. Edu businesses like Pearson extract data rent as a route to monetization. Oh, BYJUs, I didn't bother looking up what it is, Google's and Apple's in school deploy well-honed commercial tactics to concentrate power through multiple mergers. The future of education, the way paved by school choice, is large corporations ex exploiting the situation to concentrate power through multiple mergers. All your kids are going to go to one gigantic corporate monopoly school that's going to be a piece of and it's going to serve the interests of those giant corporations, not of your children. Virginia schools will not educate kids in Virginia values because, I don't know, Glenn Youngkin made a $300 million deal with Google so that Virginia schools will educate their kids in Google values. Get used to this. The mergers are going to come. School choice is going to pay for it. And it's going to be mandated tax money, $750 billion dollars a year in education. Gigantic, gigantic pot of gold if they can just get the corporations on board with it. Better put up some, better do some thinking about this and put up some guardrails to protect from that because otherwise you're all going to the Walmart of schools. Mm, did anybody mention that the Walton Family Foundation is one of the major funders of that program and the school choice movement? How about that? Hmm, which program am I speaking of? 4.0 schools in particular. You can look it up. Together with fast-growing edtech startups, these companies aim to become too big to fail and too connected to fail, like Twitter, which is a garbage pile and should be underwater by now. In pursuing this goal, their commercial interests at times supersede educational equity interests. Huh. They're worried about co-optation. The poor, co poor communists are worried about fascist co-optation, like happens every time should never do communism because what happens is this shit every single time. Communism is a disaster. It can't work. And somebody who knows how to take advantage of the situation is going to ride that chaos and climb it like a ladder and ruin everything. But they say, but the message is uh, from the recent UNICEF Lego EdTech report. UNICEF and Lego teamed up for an EdTech report. Education can be brought into the metaverse, but it should not be done the other way around. So your kids are going to get educated in the metaverse. Wonderful. New ed tech models can promote public-private cooperation. I mean, that's fascism. But not I guess not the kind they're literally denouncing here, but a new and different, more communist kind. Fascio-communism, I've been calling it. They can promote public-private cooperation and demand transparent documentation of private poli privacy policies. Independent research evidence can drive the ways in which ed tech is developed, evaluated, and scaled up. Realization of this vision requires collective action from the education community, but investors, researchers, and schools too can play a part. Of course, collective action. So this is, that was an article they wrote this year saying that this stupid white paper didn't work out, but just to kind of like make a real quick point to you about how this is actually happening, you know, other than luring companies into supporting it, we go back to the World Economic Forum white paper, talk about their list of impediments to implementation and how to fix that in chapter, uh, chapter three, uh, they say, a lack of consensus about valid and reliable SEL measurements is the key problem. They say, in the pre previous New Vision for Education report, we found that the majority of existing global assessments measure foundational skills, mainly reading and mathematics. We could find a direct measure of problem solving and proxies for creativity and curiosity for only about a quarter of the world's countries through, o through the OECD's Program for International Student Assessment, PISA, test. For the other seven competencies and character qualities, we're unable to find comparable data at scale. Hey guys, pay attention. 
There's no good data for it, but do it at scale anyway. It's just your kids, or they have a different reason that they're doing it. That's the dark truth here. That's the evil truth here. There's a new. There's another reason. Not because they think it works. They don't know if it works. They're telling you they don't know if it works. Further, no agreement exists for even how education researchers and thinkers refer to these skills. They don't have a consistent way to talk about it. Certainly, people use terms such as behavioral skills, soft skills, personality skills, non-cognitive abilities, character, socio-emotional skills, and non-cognitive skills to describe SEL. The lack of agreement about basic terminology limits the ability to measure success. Now, pause for five seconds and think about it. Why would you implement with tens of billions of dollars behind it, a complete revamp of all of the educational system in the entire world with all of these millions of children likely to be the lab rats in this gigantic experiment that you don't know anything about. Why would you do this unless you had some underlying purpose for making it happen that has nothing to do with what you're telling people? It doesn't make sense. There's another purpose, and that's what we're going to find out. And I keep telling you what it is. I keep telling you what it is. It is rampant data mining to create the biggest social control mechanism they've ever made in human history. And we're going to discuss a paper in a minute that brings, uh, brings all this home. It answers all these questions because it starts off with these exact same concerns, these exact same questions about both who is doing SEL stuff and also how, uh, how this issue of a lack of definition, a lack of data about it, uh, demand increased measurement and what that measurement is for, what it's going to be used for. The World Economics Path Forward in lots of sections, I'm just, it has lots of sections, and I'm just going to mention a couple of pieces here. Section one, how, do they, how are we going to move forward with SEL according to the World Economic Forum in March 2016? How global organizations shape the agenda. This is key. This, how is this happening? Well, besides all that ed tech money and investor money, global organizations such as the OECD, UNESCO, and the World Bank are all well positioned to help advance the international agenda. The international agenda. You know, UNESCO has an international, uh, sorry, an inclusive policy lab that has some of our, our famous school choice experts working as their, as their um, experts and researchers and mouthpieces. Interesting fact, just to point out that the school choice movement is not all that it seems to be. Um, their analyses and recommendations demonstrate the importance of social and emotional skills in the 21st century. And these organizations, the OECD, what is that, the Organization for Economic collaboration and development or something like that. UNESCO, the United Nations Educational Scientific uh, and something organization, um, and the World Bank. So the United Nations, the OECD, and the World Bank have analyses and recommendations that demonstrate the importance of social and emotional skills in the 21st century. How self-serving. And these organizations provide financing and other assistance, such as a policy framework for the educational reform agendas of individual countries. How self-serving. How circular. How weird that these weird global entities that everybody's a little bit or a lot bit freaked out by right now seem to be playing both sides of this problem at the same time. This is particularly relevant, they say, for developing countries where global organizations often have a strong presence. Such organizations are also uniquely positioned to mobilize the skills and other resources of diverse global actors, facilitating exchanges and partnerships among stakeholders and institutions that cut across national, institutional, and disciplinary lines. No need for borders. Additionally, they provide forums to bring together relevant stakeholders to find feasible solutions to the gaps in development of social and emotional skills. The following examples showcase the power of global organizations to shape and facilitate the SEL agenda. The SEL agenda, they just called it the international agenda, the globalist agenda. What do you want to call this? The world, new world order? 
The OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, that's what it is, has influenced global education reform by creating tools to measure progress in individual countries and tracking and publishing results. Specifically, the OECD's PISA uh, demonstrates the power of standardized education measurements to shape the education agenda of individual governments. PISA makes it possible to compare performance in the de development of man foundational skills, such as literacy and numeracy across countries, thereby identifying areas of relative strengths and weaknesses. I don't know what that man development is. Maybe it's a typo. The information has triggered education reforms in several countries. Recently, the OECD updated PISA to include a measure of creative problem solving. This is a giant step toward recognizing the importance of social and emotional skills. UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, has reinforced the leading role it established in coordinating the World Education Forum 2000 by helping to shape the UN's 2030 education agenda and its related sustainable development goals. Oh, it's a conspiracy theory, guys. You can relax. Notably, UNESCO has helped to bring businesses into the global discussion. For instance, UNESCO has agreed to partner with Microsoft <laughs> Holy shit. to jointly develop programs and solutions that use technology to improve childhood education. That's just Bill Gates. You know, the guy who dumps like kind of the most money, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and all these weird education programs that are a disaster. Let's just say it again. Oh. The World Bank has developed a step skills toward employment and productivity, the World Bank, hmm. a survey that collects data about technical, foundational, and social and emotional skills through employment interviews. Sounds like they might be trying to figure out how to build out a whole system that matches social, your surveyed kids into the possible jobs that would be ideal for them, like they do in Soviet countries. STEP makes it possible to compare international data about skills and identify skill gaps. Just really sounding like that, like that the computer is going to determine where your kids are going to work based on the surveys that they do in their classrooms. Having a set of clear and measurable targets is an, it's like a gigantic planned economy or something. Having a set of clear and measurable targets is an important catalyst for change as the UN's Millennium Development Goals have demonstrated in achieving universal primary school education. Where do you think your kid will wind up if they don't go along with a regime program as far as these assessment and job matching programs go? Hmm, I think I know. When coupled with efforts such as cross-country studies identifying gaps in social and emotional skills, like the OECD's recent skills for social progress, social progress, okay, goal setting can spur action to support SEL. These are charming organizations. So both these challenges and this exact same list of organizations turn out to appear in this really interesting and other telling academic paper by Ben Williamson from 2019, and that's where we're going to turn now. And then we're going to finally really understand the true purpose, the dark, evil purpose of social-emotional learning and its attendant brainwashing. The title of this paper is Psychodata. <laughs> Sounds great, doesn't it? Psychodata, Disassembling the Psychological, Economic, and Statistical Infrastructure of Social-Emotional Learning in the Journal, Journal of Educational Policy. Social-Emotional Learning is about Psychodata. Are you paying attention? And by the way, it's just your kids. Nothing to be concerned about. Psychodata is what social emotional learning is about. We're getting pretty far away from that handbook, aren't we? But it's the same thing that Maurice Elias was actually saying. So let's read from this paper. Start with the abstract. This article provides an analysis of the emerging infrastructure of social emotional learning measurement. 
identifying how psychological and economic experts, together with think tank coalitions, philanthropic funders, hey Bill Gates, software companies, hi Microsoft, investment schemes, hmm, Larry Fink and BlackRock and ESG, and international organizations, hi World Economic Forum and UNESCO, are coalescing around the production of systems to generate policy-relevant data. Oh, to generate policy-relevant data and statistical knowledge and thereby influence the direction of SEL policies by uh, disassembling the psychological, economic, and statistical infrastructure of social-emotional learning into its key component parts and tracking some of its ongoing evolution and mutation, the analysis reveals the centrality of data infrastructures to the formation and enactment of contemporary forms of policy and governance. If we had Michel Foucault here, we'd call this some kind of governmentality, some kind of technocratic governmentality. In particular, it demonstrates how social-emotional learning is being positioned as a proxy for social-economic value. Ooh, social-emotional learning is positioned as a proxy for your kids' socioeconomic value. As international organizations seek statistical data on the human psychological characteristics and, quote, emotional intelligence that are required by labor markets to capitalize the product, uh, to maximize, sorry, the productivity potential of new computer-based automated systems and artificial intelligence. What? Did you, what? <laughs> what? So your kids are human capital to have socioeconomic value that's being discovered by proxy through social-emotional learning that's supposed to help them fit into the future, right? But really, international organizations want the statistical data on the human psychological characteristics and emotional intelligence that social-emotional learning mines out of your children because those are required by labor markets to maximize the productivity potential of your kids? No, new computer-based automated systems and artificial intelligence. How about that? Under this logic, the program of building an infrastructure of social-emotional measurement is integral to the social-emotional management of the digital economy. Ooh, we've got to manage the new economy at the social and emotional level so that it works out right. How? By providing evidence of the development of the characteristics, personalities, and behaviors required to preserve human capital in an AI-dominated future. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what the World Economic Forum says, actually. As such, emerging SEL policy agendas instantiate a new mode of psychoeconomic governance within education. That's what SEL is about, psychoeconomic governance, one underpinned by a political rationality in which ideally society is measured effectively through scientific fact-finding and subjects are managed affectively, emotionally, through psychological intervention. Subjects are you or your kids. So the point is, a political rationality in which society is measured effectively through data mining so that subjects, people, are managed emotionally through psychological intervention. That's the point of SEL. Constructing an infrastructure of social-emotional learning measurement is central to the enactment of this goal. That's what this is about. That's what social-emotional learning is about. That nightmare is what social-emotional learning is about. They're telling you here in black and white. Social-emotional learning interventions, practices, and policies, he says, are the products of a combination of technologies, measures, and practices developed by psychological, there's Maurice Elias, behavioral, and economics experts who straddle national borders and public-private sector boundaries. The production of numerical accounts of stu students' non-cognitive capacities, 
there's Linda Darling-Hammond's requirement, is a core objective of social-emotional learning advocates. Referring to character education, Bull and Allen describe, quote, considerable conceptual messiness, end quote, across various sites and practices of policy, work, popular culture, schooling, and so on. So it's too complicated. Noting that, quote, perhaps it is this very messiness and incoherence that enables a productive malleability. Malleability is like when you hammer metal and it stretches out. That's your kid's brains. To meet a variety of agendas and interests. Oh, for a purpose. To meet a variety of agendas and interests. Probably of the people that are making this happen. End quote. Whilst adding that the various interest groups all face similar difficulties in producing a so-called scientific evidence base. Because they don't know how to measure it. They don't know how to define it. They don't even know what they're doing. But they're implementing it because it's not for the students. It's not for the implementation. It's for gathering the data so that they can find and enable a productive malleability to meet a variety of agendas and interests, which are social control and marketing agendas. They just said that. Similarly, an extensive science for the for the AI and the automation, by the way, not for you. Similarly, an extensive scientific review of social emotional research and policy, Osher et al. conclude that significant gaps in statistical measurement of SEL limit investigators and policymakers' ability to fully utilize the research findings and therefore recommend that the field needs practical measures with psychometric evidence. To address this gap in the psychometric evidence base, contemporary approaches to SEL therefore center on the production of novel forms of psychodata about students as, a, as statistical insights for policy influence and intervention. So let's back F up. Why are they building the plane as they fly it? Why are they universally dumping billions of dollars to universally implement this in every school, on every kid, everywhere throughout the whole freaking world if they can get away with it, but particularly through the United States? Because they have to address, they don't have the data. Why are they doing it? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what it's defined, but they're putting it in full scale. Why? Is that not madness? No, of course it's not. They have a purpose. To address this gap in the psychometric evidence base, contemporary approaches to social-emotional learning therefore center on the production of novel forms of psychodata about students as statistical insights for policy influence and intervention. They're data mining your kids to build the world of the future out of their heads. The turn to intensive psychometric measurement of social-emotional learning as a means to produce policy-relevant data is the core focus of this article. Are you starting to see it yet? Let's just put it explicitly. They have a section in this paper, Ben, has, ben Williamson has a section, The Political Economy of Psychoeconomic Expertise is the title of the section. And here's a sentence from within it, the first sentence. Social-emotional learning needs to be understood... Let me make this very clear. Everybody's paying attention. Needs to be understood, right? So social-emotional learning needs to be understood as part of a political economy in which the measurement of humans' psychological attributes is seen as integral to economic forecasting and the political management of populations. There it is. That's what social-emotional learning is really about. That's why they're implementing it at scale, despite not knowing what it is, how to define it, what to do with it, what how to measure it. Let me just read it again. Social-emotional learning needs to be understood as part of a political economy in which the measurement of humans' psychological attributes is seen as integral to economic forecasting and political management of populations. Oh. 
They're just your kids, man. They're just your kids. As a hybrid of psychology and economics, he tells us behavioral economics. That's where it's coming from. That's the name of the field, behavioral economics, has become central to how many governments formulate public and social policy. Rejecting standard economic models of behavior that assume humans act through rational decision-making and self-interest, there's liberalism being rejected. Behavioral economics, there's liberty being rejected. Let me not call it liberalism in case anybody's stupid and doesn't know what that means. There's liberty being rejected. Behavioral economics has instead focused on the irrational aspects of human behavior and the inability of people to act in their own long-term best interests. See, you need stakeholders, you need experts, you need a Soviet to tell you how to act in your own long-term best interests. Consequently, new kinds of behavioral government have been designed to nudge people to make better choices that might benefit both individuals and the political economy, that is the collective, using behavioral, psychological, and neurological insights to deliberately shape and govern human conduct. They need a lot of data to know how to make that work. They're just mining your kids for it. These forms of behavioral government comprehend behavior as exceeding individual acts of calculated self-interest and strategy, instead involving emotional responses, habits, social norms, and the automatic unconscious and involuntary aspects of human action, which might nevertheless, sorry, nonetheless be predicted, enhanced, and exploited. So this is the truth about social-emotional learning. Social-emotional learning is being implemented not because they believe it works, not even because they necessarily hope it works. It is being implemented at scale in every child, damaging children, very bad programs. Because it's actually for data mining your kids for three purposes. One, to brainwash them into their correct ideology, which is this new ESG communism. Two, to make them into predictable and exploitable consumers. And three, to build a new social infrastructure to manage, govern, and control them. No kidding. Social-emotional learning exists to turn your kids into the salt mines for big data so that they can use the data taken from them to brainwash them, turn them into perfect consumers, control them seamlessly through super high technology like we've never seen, but like we're starting to hear about. You think I'm exaggerating? Let's hear it from Mr. Williamson. The emergence of big data, advanced analytics, and artificial intelligence is now extending capacity for psychological, economic, and behavioral governance. Algorithmic analyses of huge samples of personality data collected online, you thought you were just playing on social media or doing your homework on your, uh, on your canvas or whatever. Algorithmic analyses of huge samples of personality data collected online, for example, are leading psychologists to define novel personality clusters with fine-grained precision, technical affordances to conduct behavioral tracking, digital phenotyping, and algorithmic psychometrics have opened up human emotion and behavior to constant monitoring, quantification, classification, and manipulation. This includes the use of facial analytics. Didn't we just hear about that in the World Economic Forum? We did. Linguistic sentiment analysis, wearable biometrics. Hmm, just heard about that too. Emotional AI, we just heard about that. And empathic media, like your digital friend, that are able to make bodies and emotional lives machine-readable as intimate data. That's what it says. That's what it says. That's what it's for. These optical 
cap, uh, sorry, these optical capacities to read the intimate data of bodies like my friends, masturbation. These optical capacities to read the intimate data of bodies are mobilized not just by data companies for commercial advantage, but by government ag agencies seeking behavioral population insights for purposes of policymaking. For example, the UK government's Behavioral Insights Team, BIT, or Nudge Unit, as it's called, mobilizes its behavioral economics expertise to undertake data analytics experiments in key public policy areas such as education, and has also started promoting nudge theory to support social-emotional learning in schools. They're trying to nudge you to support the thing that's going to give them the data to control you. This application of behavioral policy appeals to a modernist ideal to, quote, manage society through hard fact-finding, but also to, quote, a neoliberal agenda seeking to responsibilize citizens to alter their problematic behaviors rather than change the underlying socioeconomic, political, and institutional structures that underpin such behaviors, end quote. That's clearly a Marxist analysis of this. So is this what you wanted to be having them do with your kids during school time? Do you send them to school 35 hours a week and they have their homework apps for another 30 hours a week? Their iPads that have the tracking devices, like RF chips and things in them, the cameras that are tracking their facial expressions and their eye movements, and maybe a wearable device that's going to track their heart rate and how they their emotions and guess that when they're doing things that like playing with themselves or whatever else, they might if it can detect that, that's not the point of what your kids are doing. If they can detect that, they can detect a lot of things. Is that why you're sending your kids to school? I don't think it is. I don't think it's why any of us are sending our kids to school. So SEL is a blatant disaster, and the question is, who is pushing this blatant disaster? Well, good people probably, right? Well, let's see. We already know the World Economic Forum is all in, and they're good people, right? And who did they name? They named the OECD, the World Bank, and UNESCO, right? Well, what does Ben Williamson tell us? International organizations such as the OECD, the World Bank, UNESCO, and the World Economic Forum are key actors of, quote, global education policy and have become active in developing social-emotional learning as a globalizing policy priority. The OECD in particular has positioned itself as a source of expertise in the capture and analysis of, SE, of SEL data. Huh. The OECD in particular has positioned itself as a source of expertise in the capture and analysis of SEL data. It's just your kids. It's just their lives. It's just who they are. It's just psychodata. And is developing a global SEL metric for international comparison of non-cognitive skills and identification of best practices of, quote, what works to measure and foster them. As the OECD's Andreas Schleicher has argued, the OECD is shifting its emphasis from, quote, literacy and numeracy skills for employment toward empowering all citizens with the cognitive, social, and emotional capacities and values to contribute to the, to the success of tomorrow's world. Oh, shit. Remember how I kept saying that they set those things to the side, the academic competencies like literacy and numeracy? As the OECD's Andreas Schleicher has argued the OECD is shifting its emphasis from literacy and numeracy skills for employment, this is quoting them, him, toward empowering all citizens with cognitive, social, and emotional capacities and values to contribute to the success of tomorrow's world. Oh. How do they do this? Remember that whole little thing about Cambridge Analytica and all your little fun quizzes that you took and how they did all that? The OECD has promoted the big five personality scores. 
as a valid model for international SEL measurement, ultimately positioning personality theory as an objective standard for the psychological classification of students, while criticizing the moral connotations of concepts such as character and virtue. No more character education, no more virtue education. Big five personality manipulation. Moreover, it emphasizes the policy relevance of the insights that many personality characteristics are malleable and can therefore become a potential target for policy intervention. In other words, you can change people's personalities through targeted interventions. It's just your kids. It's just who they are. As its other international tests have evolved in response to changing accounts of human capital, which emphasize the non-cognitive aspects of valuable skills, Notice that you're not human resources anymore, you're not humans, you're human capital, which emphasize the non-cognitive aspects of valuable skills, which Linda Darlingham enforced if schools want to receive federal money after every Student Succeeds Act, forced them to report. Quote, the OECD's education metrics now seek to quantify not only what people know or can do, but who people are and who they can become. End quote. That knowledge can then be used for targeted intervention into the malleable aspects of human personality. Just your kids, just who they are. Maybe they could turn them on you, who knows? Maybe they could turn them communist. Maybe they could create a biological foundation for socialism, just like Herbert Marcuse suggested, by interjecting a new set of values until their complete rationality and sensibility are transformed so they can inhabit a new reality that they can't live without one will demand, just like Klaus Schwab also said, not just Herbert Marcuse in The Great Narrative for a Better Future in 2022. As such, with SSES, the OECD is shifting its ambitions from shaping national-level education systems to intervening in the shaping of children's personalities to achieve economic ends. Is that what you thought you were sending your kids to school for? Let me just read that again. The OECD is shifting its ambitions from shaping national-level education systems to, let me say it slowly, intervening in the shaping of children's personalities to achieve economic ends. Let's just transform your kids' your kids' personalities through SEL at their school to achieve economic ends. So that's what education's for now. That's what SEL's for. That's why they're doing this. They have to gather the data to make it work, though. That's why they're implementing it at scale. Every kid has to be in the system. Now, who's paying for this? In addition to those huge entities, World Bank, OECD, UNESCO, World Economic Forum that were already named, this paper indicates a made, that a lot of the major funding for this whole SEL hot mess comes from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and on the neocon side of things, as opposed to the progressives, the Templeton Foundation. So you can thank them for this catastrophe and wonder what their agendas are with it. I mean, powered by Microsoft might be the words of the future. It's just your children are powered by Microsoft now. So, I mean, what does Bill Gates do with kids anyway? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe they can change their personalities. Maybe they'll like it. So, what's SEL really about? Speaking of groomers, by the way. Aside from the brainwashing into a new neo-communist sensibility and changing your kids' personalities for economic purposes. Quote, education policy is gradually adapting to a new political rationality and a political economy in which expert knowledge of human psychology and behavioral economics especially is accepted as a legitimate source for policy intervention and governance. The emerging social-emotional learning field is embedded in a political rationality that emphasizes the social, political, and economic value to be derived from measurement and prediction of individuals' psychological characteristics, behavioral habits, and personality traits. Measurement and prediction of your kids. 
These forms of psychological and behavioral governance as embodied in a globalizing behavior change policy agenda, behavior change policy agenda, as embodied in a globalizing behavior change policy agenda. Turn to little kids. These forms of psychological and behavioral governance as embodied in a globalizing behavior change policy agenda. Turn your kids into global citizens. Huh. But changing their personalities are dedicated to the intentional shaping of human action, emotions, and personal character through the development, or sorry, the deployment of scientific insights, experimentation, and methods. Feitzma cites, or sorry, Feitzma terms this a psychocracy, or a technocracy with a psychological twist, a form of public decision-making that reduces the world of policymaking to a rational, instrumental, and top-down affair dictated by psychological expertise. In the Soviet, the Council of Stakeholders that the World Economic Forum is meeting with to design and implement this. The infrastructure of SEL measurement examined in this article is a socio-technical instantiation of the political rationality of psychocracy within the education center, the sector. Sorry. By the way, the author of this, Ben Williamson, is quite clearly a critical theorist. Lest anybody think that I hate all critical theory, I think it often has valuable insights into how people are being really reckless and dangerous. So the goal is to create absolute rule through high-tech algorithms and psyops through digital platforms and digital friends and things like this that are driven by AI that can get to know you or your children better than you can know yourself and can therefore manipulate you invisibly to do virtually anything, including changing your personality for um, economic ends and government control ends and to become global citizens on somebody else's terms while using all the data they gather from you to build and refine that model of social control until it's so seamless and powerful that you can never escape from it. That's what social-emotional learning is for. That is what social-emotional learning is for. This is not about teaching kids to navigate social situations and manage their emotions. It's not about even building the skills for the 21st century world unless we believe and accept very terribly that the world of the 21st century is this psychocracy, this tyranny of the mind through the algorithm. In sum, social-emotional learning is the product of a loosely connected network of psychological, behavioral, and economics entrepreneurs, global policy advice, media advocacy, philanthropy, think tanks, ed tech research and development, investment calculations, and venture capital. Sounds like a warm and fuzzy set of people who care about kids embedded in a political economy that prioritizes psychological intervention as a means to economic ends. There you go. There's your social-emotional learning. Together, this loose alliance of actors has produced shared vocabularies, aspirations, and practical techniques of statistical SEL measurement that correlate psychologically defined categories of character, mindset, grit, and other indicators of social-emotional learning to socioeconomic outcomes. Although this infrastructure remains incomplete and partially connected, its advocates, producers, and expert informants are seeking to sense and quantify students' psychological affects, that's emotions, in order to generate productive economic effects. And this all just sounds so wonderful. And then we kind of come full circle. We'll close up soon. There's one more paragraph I'm going to read from this paper, and it is where I discovered the Handbook of Social and Emotional Learning. Internationally, Social and emotional learning has begun to coalesce as a field of research, practice, and policy, as evidenced by the publication of a 600-page handbook, 650 actually, by the way, 
page handbook of social and emotional learning in 2016. 15, actually, but whatever. International organizations, including the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD, the World Bank, UNESCO, and the World Economic Forum, the WEF, are extending SEL into global policy spaces alongside think tanks and philanthropic partnerships. Hi, Bill Gates. While SEL has also become a lucrative international market for commercial providers and an investment opportunity for venture capital firms. Because the, the, mar, the mafia needs this. The mafia wants this. The cartel demands it. So they're going to make sure it's very lucrative to go into it. And they create the incentives and off go the corporations to undermine the world. The global social media company Facebook has even designed features, quote, rooted in principles of social and emotional learning, end quote, into its controversial Messenger Kids app in order to, quote, teach kids how to better understand and express their emotions in creative ways and encourage and promote healthy social behaviors, encourage and promote healthy social behaviors, end quote. While the Venture Philanthropy New Schools Venture Fund has assembled 14 SEL scales into new mashup measurement instruments, Facebook has even designed features in it. Remember, we can take education into the metaverse owned by Facebook, but not the other way. Mm-hmm. That's World Economic Forum this month. This paper was in 2019. So now you understand the real purposes of social emotional learning, what its real purpose is, what its real dark truth is, and why it's one of the two interrelated and instrumental parts of the unfolding global disaster. It is a mechanism of economic forecasting and social control of populations. How? By gathering psychodata to understand your mind and your children's minds better than they understand it themselves so they can be marketed to and propagandized flawlessly and seemly to nudge their behaviors to the point of transforming their personalities to be the ideal global citizens that the, that the, regime, that the regime needs. It's to inculcate them with the so-called competencies that will enable them to endure this and to adapt to it and to be resilient within it but not outside of it. And it explicitly is part of the ESG sustainability agenda. We heard that. It is explicitly part of the sustainable development goals in the UN 2030 agenda. Agenda 2030, as a matter of fact, is what it's called. 17 goals to transform our world, one of which is education. So SEL and ESG, or if you'd rather, sustainable development goals, because they're the same thing, really, are the two interrelated and instrumental parts to the unfolding global disaster that we are up against, that is making its move to take over everything. We've already heard ways of how fragile it is. There are lots of places where it's already been pointed out that if people don't go along with this, it's not going to work. You outlaw data mining kids, this whole freaking thing falls apart. They don't have the data to do it. You limit the amount of technology available and usable in education spaces, and you have an incredible tool against this. You limit the uses of that technology. You limit what's able to be done with that technology. You limit what can be done with the data on the other side of it, and you tremendously limit this. You attack ESG and SEL for the evils that they are, and you actually can end this. You can actually set human liberty back on the table and knock these idiots not just off the table, but hopefully straight into prison for what they've attempted to do to us. This is by far the grandest attempt at a crime against humanity that's ever been made. This is the biggest crime in human history. This is unbelievable. And it's being put into play and installed into place by exactly the same people and organizations that have the intention of forcing the new world, the sustainable agenda, from the top down. So 
What did we do in that other podcast I did? They're going to use a public-private partnership to force it from the top down, and they're going to use an educational faith partnership to build it from the bottom up and have a cultural revolution from the inside out. That's what Klaus Schwab said in the great narrative for a better future this year. I'm not going to reread that part, but he said the public-private partnership will force corporations and people to play along, and then the educational milieu, especially in young people, will create a demand-driven bottom-up movement. Meanwhile, the culture will be transformed with new values that are ESG and sustainability compliant to force things from the inside out. Social-emotional learning is the necessary tool to transform the personalities, to create both that bottom-up movement and to transform the personalities to accept a new world, and to understand what they need to do in order to manipulate you through nudges and whatever else from the top down to make it work, how to propagandize you perfectly into it, how to mold manipulate your kids to need this world and to not be able to live that they're building and not be able to live in any other. And it's all being done by the same people and organizations, which have been named repeatedly here, with the intention of forcing it into people from all of these different angles. Partnered up public and private sector alliance and creating the demand for it from the bottom up through education and faith initiatives soaked straight through with social emotional learning. So now you know the dark truth, the evil truth, the hideous truth of social emotional learning. You cannot go back to thinking it was something different. I know I've spent now four hours telling you this tale. This is not easy. I'm sorry these podcasts are so long and deep. You have to understand the argument. You have to hear it in their own words. You have to see how grotesque it is, what they're suggesting. And you have to understand it in terms of what it's trying to accomplish and what it's trying to achieve. What it's trying to accomplish is to build the new world and the new population to fill it simultaneously so that they seamlessly integrate at around 2030 to have a new entire global system. This requires massive amounts of data to be collected. Your children are the minds for that data, and social-emotional learning in the schools is not only the, the means of gathering that data, but also the tool of manipulating them to become what they need to be made into, changing their personalities, so that they'll become the global citizens that the 2030 agenda requires. It's all here. I don't see how anybody could say that I'm making it up at this point, or that I'm reading it wrong, but you're welcome to read these documents for yourself. They're there. You can find them. You can get them. I'll link to several of them, I'm sure. SEL is a disaster. SEL must be ripped out root and branch from our schools. There's no good form left. It cannot be considered as a good form. Data mining of children must be outlawed. The penalties must be so severe that any of these companies will not think of it merely as the cost of doing business. They must be severe. We must be thinking very carefully about how to make data copyright laws that the generator of the data is the owner of the data so they can't rent or sell out your data to create these programs. And in fact, that the penalties are so stiff that nobody would make a mistake about this. This kind of privacy and protection is absolutely necessary in this new era that technology has enabled. And we're thinking about this all wrong by allowing these goons who want to control us to dictate the, the contours of public policy going forward dealing with this data-driven world that we live in. Social-emotional learning, though, is one of the two hearts of the beast. The other is the ESG slash sustainability program. Those are the foundations. Those are the hearts. You put an arrow in the hearts, the beast dies. You let the hearts go, the beast is going to grow its head back no matter how many times you cut it off. We absolutely must attack SEL and ESG, or the sustainability agenda, relentlessly at the foundations, exposing the corruption, exposing the intentions, and protecting our children, protecting our societies from it, informing our lawmakers, informing our uh, executive officials, informing our attorneys, 
and taking serious action, dedicated action against this. There is no option. I hope you understand after hearing this why my friend Michael O'Fallon, at the end of every public talk he's given in over five years, has ended with the exact same three words that I'm going to close with today. The exact same three words. I hope you understand. You will clearly understand why these three words keep coming out of his mouth. And those three words are, we must win.